welcome to the Crash Chords Podcast, Dave. I can't let you do that, Dave. Or Steve. Creepy. Downright creepy. Yeah, and probably really low, too. He's it's probably not that low. Really it's low. It's more like, I can't let you do that, well, Dave. Well, you can do magic, like making parts louder than other parts, right? I can do... It's okay. It's no, it, your... is ma- it is magic because it is well outside the realm of what Matt knows how to do things. That's not true. If and I was... any technology sufficiently advanced is indistinguishable from magic. Can you repeat everything you just said? No, I couldn't. Good. <laughs> Good. Why would you ask? <laughs> um, before we get into the meat of this episode, um, or the fish as it were. Wah, wah. Oh. Um, <laughs> I couldn't have even. Collective I, sigh. I couldn't have even. That's uh, say yeah, I know. That's impressive, right? Yeah. Um, I was in not one, but two music videos this weekend. Mm-hmm. Same day, actually. Both on Sunday. Um... This past weekend, I was a part of Afterbirth Monkey's music video shoot for... Oh, The Weekend. The Weekend. Oh, The Weekend. The Weekend. He did it on The Weekend. The Weekend. I love it. Um, shoot for... It's Raining Dicks. Um, featuring Shay <laughs> for the Dark Lord. I love the contrast there. <laughs> and, uh, we shoot at It's Raining Dicks on The Weekend. I'll, I'll, I'll leave most of what I actually shot for either the article or when the video comes out. The video, however, I have recently learned on the internets today, will be coming out on July 27th. So, very soon. Um, so be sure to keep an eye out for that. We'll probably feature it at, to some capacity on the website, because we try to do that for the artists we know and love. Um, but it was a lot of fun. I had a blast. There were some other people there that I'd met through the Blast community who were friends with Charles Stunning who were there to be part of the boner zombie horde. I am not kidding. Um, what was the other video you did? The other video was for Eli August and the Abandoned Buildings. E-A-A-B, as I realized they've been using the acronym recently. Um, Yab? Yab. Yab. Eeb. You're still over- mispronouncing Eeb. that. Yeah. Either Eeb or Eeb. <laughs> Evie? Eeb. Or Eeb. I really want clips of that in the bloopers at the end of this year. Just you doing that over and over again. It's a nice little throat movement there. Um, it was for their the first single off their new EP that comes out soon called Slow Start. Um, interesting fact, when you do a performance setup for a music video, so band performing and getting crowd shots, uh-huh. you have to do the same song over and over again a lot. Yeah, no. We, the fun thing though That's, was uh, what's involved no. with with making things meticulous. The, the fun thing though was um, so it was it was a video shoot and live performance. So Matt DeBlas, who is a mandolin player within Eli August, played a solo set. Painless Parker played a solo set, and then actually invited a few of the Wasties on stage with him to play. Then Eli August, we did the video shoot with them where they played the song over and over again. Mm-hmm. Then Eli August did a full set. They closed the full set with slow start. So everyone was able to sing along when they were playing it live instead of to playback, which was kind of fun. And then the Wasties closed out the night with four strong songs before we all went home and went to sleep. So it was a fun night of music and live performing and dancing and... Debauchery. How exhausting for you. Was it debauchery? To have all that fun, jeez. Actually, what was exhausting was having to dance as intense... For five, four or five different angles, because they were doing it in front of the crowd, behind the crowd, so you pretty much had to react the same way. So the shots would like, oh. have to get it from different angles again and again and again. Why can't they just buy like thirty or forty recorders? Well, they hired a director who brought cameras, and I guess they didn't have thirty or forty cameras. You know that is a 
that that is a director. Well, what's the quality of more? camera? That's the big question. Really nice cameras. I don't remember what they were yeah, that off thing the top is, of my um, head. Did they have a dime a dozen? They were on dollies and yeah. They, they, they had a GoPro also to for stage shots, but it was mostly the the dolly cameras. They were on train tracks. No, they were just uh, on the tripod. I was dollies. there was going to be crossover for Steve there. What train tracks? Cameras and train tracks. That was shallow. Not shallow. What is it reaching. about me and trains? Um, just because I like trains. But yeah, so that video shoot was a lot of fun also. Um, and Eli August actually gave us a shout out recently on his Twitter feed um, promoting the podcast, which was really nice of him. So thank you. Um, but yeah, it was kind of cool to be a part of two different music vi- videos as a extra, essentially. Um, I was featured a little more in the Afterbirth Monkey, but that's because I'm such good friends with Charles. So um, any fun, interesting shots you could stick me in, I I was in. Oh, because by I'm, the way, throwback to a few weeks ago, John, you mentioned you were in a music video. Yes, I was. Can't in a music. find it. I, I I believe. Listen back. Listen to the name. Can't find it. Suicide Machine. It was for a Rob Zombie uh, movie. I don't even. I couldn't tell you which one. Uh, so it was had, for a movie. It was for a movie, like one it. of those things. I was a little dude in the middle of a big crowd. Like like hundreds of people sprayed with fake blood lying on the ground. I've got to write this time. Yeah. I'm going to find it. No, you, you'll never find it. I've been in a music video already besides this, these this, two. This weekend. Yes. Well, no, no. Yes. Um, Shave of the Dark Lord's God. video for girls featuring Christy B. The last shot... Of the lo- they they peppered in some live shots from the show that I wrote about. The last shot of the live show pans the camera over the crowd, and you see a tall, doofy guy, guy in a hat. And that was me. And you were the guy behind him. <laughs> <laughs> so so yeah, but that was that was kind of a blast, and I'm hoping that After Birth Monkey does some videos for the new album. Speaking of which, I can't say this on air, but she told me the title of the album, so we'll talk about that later. Although I have to remember it now. But you um, told me the title of the new album. I never thought I'd actually see... You in the withholding lately. See Steve get jealous, because it seems like he's super jealous, because he's never been in a music video. Nah, I really don't care. But... He could have been in either of these. Oh, I'm sorry. I, for- made... I forgot about those he... 50 music videos he... that I was in, but... Yeah, no, he, they're he nothing. makes music. They're nothing, really. But he'd never been in video. That That's the mark of a true musician. We are the man behind the curtain, so to speak. That's baloney. Never in the limelight. That's baloney. Always. <laughs> Shut up. I totally can't play that anymore. Name one person <laughs> yeah. that has never been in the limelight. That's a musician. That's um, not Well, okay, no, trained. it's more of a composer thing. Like, like for instance, John Williams is, even though, yes, we all know the name John Williams, he... He's so failing. He, no, seriously, he does not want to be, like, in the limelight. He doesn't want to be that guy doing a, a thousand interviews. He had, like, one really, really big interview recently with, uh, with Brian Williams, where he actually played the NBC theme, which he wrote, but that's like the first interview he's done in years. So, not a limelight guy. But here's, here's the whole Com- thing. Composers are, are background with, people. But here's the whole thing. If you can name one, obviously they're not background people because they would have been forgotten about. So by the very fact that you can name them... Oh, well, you, I know several, but you wouldn't know them. Thank you, <laughs> Hipster Steve. Um, uh, so, so, yeah. So that can, was we that. Move on, can we move on to real content now? Oh, yeah. Oh, I was going to... Well, I'll promote it anyway. Um, if you're listening to this on the day it came out, quickly run to the way station because the Wasties are playing at 10 p.m. Awesome. Okay, let's move on. Jeez. <laughs> Your right. expectations, man. Well, whatever. Maybe people what? listen to it as soon as it comes out. It's my, possible. My dad listens to it as soon as it comes out. 
Does he really? Because, well, I want just one person out there gets... to do that, to do what Matt said, because Matt, I will admire your tenacity and shout you out next that week. That would be great. Yeah, come up to me at the show and let me know. <laughs> Running you... with their iPod, listening to our podcast on the way. <laughs> come up to the show, find Matt, poke him in the nose, and we'll give you a shout out. Um, I think we just found week... our 200th episode special spectacular. <laughs> this week, we are reviewing... Wow, I just cracked right there. We are reviewing Fish. Fish. And their newest album, their 12th studio LP, Fuego. Fuego. Fish is a band that's been around for over three decades now. 86, I believe, was their 83 first 83 uh, was their original. 86 was when they yeah. finalized. That was their first studio album, I believe. Yes, and it's when they finalized who the actual band members were going to be. Ah. Um, and most of those gentlemen have stayed with that group for the time being. Um, <clears throat> Fish is... An interesting combination of, well, at its core, it's jam rock with a heavy influence of jazz, of funk, bluegrass, blues, psychedelic, progressive, a little bit of everything. All the stuff that's fun to jam to. Essentially anything that was created in the time frame they've been making music. Indeed. Um, they even introduced... Well, no, little... even beforehand, really. Yes. I, th- I I detect a, a huge uh, 60s, 70s influence in their sound. They always have this little twang about them, granted not in every track, where they seem to want to live on off Woodstock forever. Yeah, I would, I would say that. Even though in this album that we're about to review, there is a dashing of a little more modern tones with the experimentation with some of the electronica elements here and there, a little bit oh, of warp, sure. a little bit of beating. And to their credit, they are really, really flexible. I mean, they slip in and out of genres almost seamlessly. And the big thing you need to know about Fish, if you don't know Fish, is that you, well, if you don't know Fish, you don't know Fish. They are one of the biggest underground bands in existence. Um, they Not sold... anymore. <laughs> no, even even nowadays, they get no loving on most radio stations. And this is where we have a radio station for everything. I guess that's fair, but that might be one of those cases where when something's... I mean, if something's been underground for so long and known as something underground, I just don't think you're underground anymore. They're... Fish fans are why they're not 100% underground. Because Fish has sold over 8 million records at last count. They have a huge following with 12 uh, LPs. Sure, they had a couple that went platinum, a couple that went gold. Yeah, and, and they've got... Counting their live albums, some are in the neighborhood of 40, 50 actual records. Yeah, so I just can't say, you know, underground at that stage. I will... But, but you'll never hear mainstream media say the word fish. Even when somebody like Rolling Stones talks about them. Yeah, they're not but, that, be well but see, known. that's really going to get into the meat of what we're talking about here. You will not hear mainstream media discuss a jam band. And that's, I think, the real thing. It's not so much fish, it's the fact that they jam so much it's the there fact that their their band. songs aren't as easy to market as singles there's a jam band that mainstream media would talk about though who's that Ma- uh dave matthews band they are a jam band well, oh no. dave matthews band is is one of those things that's like in there's there's uh there's big dividers about the dave matthews mm. band so, i don't really um, consider them a jam band yeah so and and i'm, well, I'm, I'm no, a person but, personally i'm a fan of, of dave matthews band i really am but but there's you will meet a lot of contention when you discuss them, so I can't give that the sweeping okay for ma- mainstream media. Uh, well, Grateful Dead. If you want to talk about a jam band, that's only Grateful but Dead. even that's only from a historical perspective. Yeah, because like, that only in, really happened after he passed away. Yeah, 
Like, in fact, they right now, bigger. the continuation of the Grateful Dead is the uh, Rat Dog, the, yeah. the spin-off, if you will. They, uh, I think, are actually underground. So even, you know, when you perpetuate the Grateful Dead into present-day culture, yeah, they're still underground, in a way. So, the album. Fuego. First, uh, oh, a no. little bit about... A little bit about what they do. Obviously, it goes without saying, now that we've mentioned jam bands so much, the jam jamming involves a lot of improvisation. And I am almost inclined to believe that people go to fish more for their live work than for their studio work. And that, that's going to be a bit of a segue into this album. But first, this is just from my experience of uh, from knowing fish fans personally, is that they put so much emphasis on, like, you know, man, you got to listen to Hampton, Virginia, 99. That, that's, that's where it's at, man. You just got to zone out. Same, and that's an interesting thing. Same experience I've had with Fish fans. Because right. while I've had a love-hate relationship with them, I've never been one to commit to albums with them. And it's tough. Well, it's also tough to commit to a live album. Only because maybe there's less emotional connection there. Because unless you were at the show, and that's a whole different thing entirely, if you were at the show, instant emotional connection. And you feel like if there is a release of that live of that live performance, then it, it's it's going to be personal to you for life, if you are a fan. But less so for the people that weren't there. You have to put more... There's more investment there, I think, than there is for a studio album. I don't believe that 100%. I'll believe that me personally being at a show versus me listening to a sh that show, that same show on the record, there's more connection in the moment live there. But there are live albums that I've connected to quite tightly and that the emotional connection is there very strong despite whether you have been to the concert yeah a, a little south of sanity by Aerosmith is one of their most potent emotional records because they're they're hitting those songs harder because they're pushing themselves harder they're changing it up a little bit they're there's, throwing some little live stuff sure. there's a lot of 60s so and i don't 70s know that, music that i prefer I'm, over the recording so i understand what you're saying i just don't know that i'd make the sweeping statement no, I wouldn't necessarily. I mean, it's more about just looking at just looking at fish, and because of the fact that people that people look so much toward the live work, it does change in some way the way you think about their studio work, which is really how we think about uh, yes. every other band sure. and their product. Because this is kind of a rare thing for us, and in some ways, almost a, a little bit contrary to what we do here, because we focus so much on the end result as opposed to the process, the journey, which I think is more the mark of a successful improvisatory release. Not so much what it did, but what it was doing, if you follow. But of course, they were not doing a live album today. Fuego is a studio album, and studio work does give even the most stage-minded musicians a chance to further refine what can't always be achieved on stage. Although, I do detect very little distinction between those two cases, between studio and, uh, and live, with respect to Fish's work just because that I associate them so much with the live sound that it breaches over back and forth easily. Anyway, a little bit more on that later. But what you do need to understand going in is that since improv is their forte, much of the work here will reflect that emphasis on process, flow, and, and linear inspiration. That's what we're looking at. So the and first track is the tw title track. Fuego. Which we get right into Fuego. the nitty-gritty of. Um... It is a track in three parts. Okay, so first let's just... <laughs> eh, three... They're blurred lines with the parts. But the first thing we can say for, for to start is the intro is very unique and engaging in the immediate moments. I actually have a, a little bit of contention with that right up front. Um, 
not not so much you know sweeping but i have i have some particulars to make about this intro because it's going to relate to my feelings about this this track and to some extent to some extent the record so it begins with a very open somewhat tense augmented chord almost immediately we're waiting for a resolution and the bass here is the driving melody which is always pretty sexy but the one critique i have right here that almost clashes with what i said about improv right off the bat whether indeed we're improvising at all is that this is a case of multiple in intros to me, kind of a, a confusion of personality in a way. Like the augmented chord is almost Broadway with the bright piano, tasteful build. It's almost like cheap horror. And then you can almost picture a forlorn character walk out to stage to like tell you of her woes through song. So for this reason, this could have perhaps stood to carry out that tension for a little bit further, I thought. I will praise that particular transition, though, despite that I may have wanted more tension, because it was somewhat, even though it was a somewhat premature release to the one chord, it was a great one. You have that five augmented chord to the minor one, that's a very sorrowful shift, and uh, the bass gave it that extra something, adding a little twang of, like, lost romance, something out of a, a film noir. It that's was, a decisive it was, choice. It was graceful in that way. Dramatic. It was, it was promoting this idea of heavy drama yet without becoming really too full of itself. Exactly. It had a, a certain fluidity to it that kept it from becoming um, becoming that high tension that you're talking about. Right. It, it's, it stayed along the lines of it can go both ways. It can become an easygoing or it becomes a quite even fearful piece. Exactly. That was only the eight, first 16 bars. Because then, after that shift, it lost me a little bit on the next shift. Moves up to A with this little unsettling flat 2 in there, and I thought that was a little bit of a character departure. Suddenly, I'm not in this movie anymore, and frankly, I don't have much of a frame of reference yet at, like, 30 seconds in to say where I am at all. Because the next shift after that is even more bizarre. Staying on A, we switch the mode up to major, which we now perceive as, like, a distinct modulation, making A major our new one, and from here on, it's just a cheery romp in the park. So I feel like I just watched an abridged film with lost footage. It in wasn't. It wasn't just minute. cheery romp, though. It does go through a little bit of phase work, and it does have a. a Once it goes into the verse, sure. No, before the verse, it has a a, dis, uh, a distinct off key, uh, kind of a melody being built in uh, built into it. It's still going at odds instead of this tension that you were feeling in the bass and piano of the original part. You were getting it in uh, the expansion of the and the inclusion of the other instruments, but presented with just being off tempo but see once we're on a key. major i really didn't get that as of no, a major i i, I felt these, very little tension at all no that's where these uh, it had gone uh, poof in the night no it it was transformed into a different type of tension presented in a different way it, i personally I, don't get a lot of tension from major but no i'm saying it was those off keys that's what they were going for there I, I saw the idea that they were building still being built, but is being used in a very dramatically different way. It was instead of trying to actually do it with the the harmonies, they were actually they were trying to do it with just the positioning of of the chords. Well, this was not to its benefit, though. That's where I got to say it. When they really undergo that major phase shift away from this noiry deep feeling into that more happy-go-lucky right but that happy-go-lucky with that little bit of discord i didn't enjoy that i like the parts separate 
I like that happy-go-lucky. No, and actually, like no, that that's a good point. Naked. The fact that I like these individual segments would probably work really, really great in their own right if they were part of a whole separate song. But that's why I, I'm choosing to focus in on this really, really early in this track and this record because this, this seems to be indicative of the, that very same problem that we were talking about. Whether it's a problem for you or not, uh, this may very well be born out of improvisation because that's the only way I could sort of explain that rapid motion through various sections before settling on a, a uh, in a section the verse which is even more disconnected that's uh, that's four distinct things and problem it, for me actually but taken individually they were a lot of fun there was one of part, course of course there was one part where the lower registered piano is really kind of adhering towards the rhythm while the higher and the other hand is playing along with the melody it was it was the same instrument it was the very it was one piano but it sounded like two complete different parts being played right they they had so independent natures to them that it was it was amazing the way one hand is just playing off of that guitar and the other one's playing off the drums yeah uh did great to actually bridge the two things the melody and the rhythm together without really any distinct harmonies being built into it. Are you in the verse yet, or still prior? This is that verse. This is that, that verse. verse. Okay, that verse, yeah. That's, um... It, it it definitely did darken up the mood a bit. And I, I you know, I, to be honest, this is something a little bit more familiar... Something I'm more familiar with, with the fish that I do know from prior. You get these little subtle changes in harmony. Um, and the verses, uh, part of it is sung as a choir, and they are very bizarre, especially lyrically. They don't depart too much from the normal lyrics here, as what they would do with, you know, your standard fair rock and roll, um, which, if you go back to the 60s, a lot of their stuff just really does harken back to it. But when they well, start I almost get kind of a ballad feel, you know. Yeah, yeah. they start, <sighs> whoa, fire, whoa. I mean, there's a lot of just <laughs> fuego, Diego. The, the rhyming scheme, I'm not a big fan of. Um, especially when they start getting repetitive over and over again. But the the verses do stand out a little bit, and there's one part that this song does shine. Some days, it's just not worth gnawing through the straps. Freak out and throw stuff, world's greatest dad. Read a little book about Vlad the Impaler. And they do that little echoing piece of Vlad the Impaler. That's the bizarre stuff I'm talking about, though. Those little it's... echoes there. I mean, this is only the first verse. And then what's interesting is that we don't really return to a second verse right away. The second it starts it, it starts phasing out like that, then we move on to a whole new thing. Then well, it goes into a jam. So the structure of this is already very, very odd. After the phase, the intro, and then a verse with, with kind of oddball lyrics to throw you right in there. And then we're in a jam. But these aren't oddball lyrics. I can't really say that. Um, it's more are... the style in which they sung that little fade out right yeah, there. Yeah, these lyrics, kind of... these lyrics you would see all over the place with sixties uh, uh, and seventies music. These are just you know, make you be faux intellectual. No, it's not so much that I have a problem with it. Um, actually, lyrically, I, 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 I'm kind of more intrigued by the lyrics at this point because I'm searching for for the structure here. It should be said while we're on structure that this is a nine minute and thirty second song that starts the album. Yes. It's a long song that could have easily been multiple songs. I mean at this point after that fades out, you get this this next section is just so divorced from the previous. It's fun, 
But it's a different song. It is a different song. That's why I said this was a song in three parts. This mostly majorly B-ish section is very much a a jam section. Very much a a duality between the electric guitar and bass. Um, Gets rid of the piano right away and introduces a keyboard. Mm -hmm. Kind of gets a little bit tropey. Was that the organ-sounding some... keyboard there? Yeah, it was It was a keyboard just because of the speed at which some of those in, uh, notes were being played, but it was an organ, electric organ-oriented keyboard. Yeah, and along with the bass, I mean, to be honest, this is the part I really enjoyed. Once we get into the really, like, serious jam here when the tempo kicks way up, this is... I, I hate to kind of bash the structure of this album because of the fact that I enjoy this jam so much, but it's still a problem, you know, in terms of connecting it as we are looking at a studio release. Either way, the jam bracketed is pretty awesome. I mean, yeah. the drums are out of this world, and, and it's just the... It's something that's very... Probably one of the jams in this album I, I'd prefer more than any other, just because it's so engaging and it gets you moving throughout. I think it was a blast to listen to, and the harmonies, the tension on the organ is, is just beyond. It's beyond what... It's better than the song, to be frank. Well, part of the problem there, though, is that... It's so divorced because, A, the transition was so poor from one part to the next. From this A to this B, it's like it was a start and stop practically. It might as well have been a separate track and a separate song. And then, you know, yeah, the jamming was good and I liked it, but it just kind of, it just it just didn't fit with what came before. I want to just clarify something you said because I want to, I, I want to beware of being too harsh here. I don't believe that the intro sections were divorced from each other as much as I feel they were of a different character. No, yeah, I'm not saying that. Yeah. I'm saying that part A and part B, the intro... It was a strong... Oh, yeah, part A into this jam was a strong drop. That's true. That's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about how going into this jam, it was completely divorced. It was a start-stop practically. And this new jam session, while intriguing and interesting... Was had nothing to do with what we were listening to previously. Now, for as far as cohesion goes, this is a major issue. Um, but Shame, this is I really want to like it. The, the whole thing is, um, this is not unexpected for me. I this is music of the time when this band first came together. Yeah, but I mean that's no different than me saying last week that Jack White being a little schizophrenic because he puts weird personality in his songs is what he does. It still doesn't always work musically, and the fact is. Even if they're expected to be a little kind of all over the place, even if of, of the time, it still doesn't forgive the fact that it's still a little poor in a modern context. And that's where the big issue comes I, in. But, well, I am going to say, though, I don't think the, the problem for me is really datedness. That That's much less the problem than structure. Well, I was just saying if he was explaining that the break and this breakdown was... Because of the datedness, then that doesn't excuse it. I don't agree either. I don't think it has anything to do with the datedness. I have, every, I think it has everything to do with just poor musicianship in this specific transition. I'm Something not, was missing. I'm not saying it's an excuse. It's an explanation. That's all it is. I'm also going to say that the, uh, I, I think the worst of the two was the, uh, the re-composition right back into the A section. Yeah. That was keep thinking that it's changed, three songs. That changed on a dime. Yeah, this is not there's not a third section here. It goes back third, to, to be clear, it's right not... after that, no 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 no. Right after that, it goes into what I, I, I would probably call the first chorus. It, it is new in that, but seriously, this is just a new melody over the same A major riff 
that we had just prior to the first verse. And it, it does expand, I think, from a more concise chorus into a totally improvised jam unto itself right after that. Is that the guitar-piano combination? Um, yeah, that actually was was the outro that comprised a, a good portion of the last half of the song. That was... I. It may be built on the same framework, but the the melody is just too different to really call it just a reimagined or an extenuate uh, an extension of that a section. No, no, it's it's not a. As I said, it's the a major riff we had just prior to the first verse. It was it sort was, of a jam earlier on. In other words, they expect us expansion to it. They expect us. Yeah, but if you're still building off the initial piece, it's still similar to the A. You're just no, building it's, on it's, it. No, it's 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 He's talking about something just prior to the actual official A section. You're talking about one of the introductory reimagines, re yes. reinvigorate. So it was the first, the second. I would I would call it after the uh, the official introduction. Personally, you have those. All right, so you have those like three or four segments in the intro. Then you move into. I would call it a a part one, even though it's instrumental, it's purely on A major. Then we move into a verse, which is a little darker. Then we move into a uh, sort of a pre-jam, into the full center jam of this piece, which is raises the tempo. And then it goes right back to the intro on a dime, which I thought was incredibly sloppy. Right at that point, we go into A again. And this time... It's, it's that A section just prior to the first verse that they use as the framework for their chorus. Odd structure so far? I thought so too. But that's basically what they built here. Normally, I, uh, I, I praise unique structures and whatnot, but this was asking a little bit much because I'm losing a center for this piece. I'm losing something to attach myself to. It has taken on up, upwards of, of five different characters so far. Well, we re- reward unique structure, but not unique structure at the hands of sanity. Like, it, it, it's, it's not even just unique. It's unique, but it's also schizophrenic and running into the walls. Like, it doesn't know what it's doing. It's kind of just all over the place. And then even when it comes back to this normality or almost normality, it's still kind of weaving to find where it's supposed to be. It never finds its ground the whole track. I mean, it pretends like it finds its ground, and this is actually kind of interesting. The second it, it starts up with that A section again, um, that is to say, A section prior to the first verse again, you can call this stuff whatever you want, but it's a, it's a, it's a way to visualize it. Uh, it. It does present this as if this is the culminating point of the piece, the, the climax, as it were. Bear in mind, we've only... Re- I mean, I think there's a problem in the fact that we've only had one verse up to this point, because the verse is your your rising action, so to speak. And then you only get a little bit of that before we climax in a jam that is unrelated. So it's like we climaxed in a different story, in a different novel, before returning to the same novel, previous novel, and going about our resolution. What sense does that make? I'm trying to come up some sort of metaphor to explain how fuego, fire would would explain all this and I got something but it's so weak it's so out there honestly I see that they were going for something I'm not a big fan of what they they kind of really were trying to represent here it's fire burning out it's all that sort of stuff say Diego not did you steal it. It. I know, no it's, <laughs> it's it's weak it's and I 
pretty sure this is where they're coming from. And just I think very clearly they were just trying to come up with a bold and alluring intro. And indeed, they it, it, it does act kind of like an overture, even though it totally doesn't have to do with anything else in the remainder of the album. It acts like an overture in that it has all these different sections. But it also is kind of uh, tightly knitted in such a way that that it really doesn't match the overture format, which really would be a, uh, a, a sort of a segue into another segue, into another segue. That's not what this follows. It, it pretends to have a structure. I know that sounds like kind of a harsh word, pretends, but I think it's, I think it's evading the fact that uh, the overall arc of the track just didn't really leave me with, me with anything. I could go back to these individual sections in this track and really have fun with them individually. But I'm gonna tune out the next the time the next one comes. That is my problem here. Uh, the final thing I have an issue with is actually the uh, that that last jam, which was that sort of a super long jam. Yeah, the particularly long the one, one here. And it wasn't uh, th- th- this one wasn't really a jam so much as a flaring repetition. That's the thing. It this this it's fun, yeah, because you know it's an A, it's fun, but it's much less intense than the than the earlier jam that was, you know, raised tempo. That was solid, impressive. But this is just kind of long. And to be honest, I have somewhat of a per- personal bias against uh, one-chord jams. I do believe a lot of this was just uh, on that one particular chord, especially when they're all in major, because they're just so damn happy. Not to sound like a, a, a curmudgeon, but I've always had my... I always, I always had personal trouble, I think, as a musician with uh, major chord jams, because when I was in uh, a band in certain atmospheres in college, I would run out of ideas very easily, because transitions out of major, after you've been jamming in major for a while, tend to be a lot sloppier. Not that they were really running out of ideas here, but psychologically, it never really seems enough for me. It always feels like there should be that next chord, that next, that next thing. And... You know, You're this, asking, this track kind of peaked. Where is it going? Yeah. It doesn't it, it go pla- it's, anywhere. It's a plateau, a steady plateau. That ends up going nowhere. That, well. Yes. Whatever a plateau does. <laughs> I guess the infinite plateau, as it were. Of course, oh, yeah. it's not infinite. We do have an ending. And the end actually does have some motion to it. They do pull out of major. The bass kept changing up the note just slightly to change up the chords just on the very last outro, moving it farther and farther away from major. That was interesting, but it was kind of uh, a little too late. Only, well, in that, only in that it did serve as a pretty good transition to the second song. That's true. And although, you know... I don't know. The, the, this song just built some kind of expectation. I don't know whether good or bad, but some kind of expectation that we don't really meet, and we can get into that a bit even with the second track. But the second track, uh, the line, is... So my problem with the line that I hadn't realized, actually, is one of my first notes is, move straight along. The line is essentially a straight line through a... I don't know, is it a pop structure? No. It starts no. out discernibly uh, reggae, actually. Yes, okay. and that actually... Kind of got this, like, this offbeat bass, like, literally. Like, it, the emphasis is on that offbeat, which is kind of cool. And I actually assume from what I have heard of Fish that it is really up their alley. Um, and then the 80s keyboard steps in after a while, which is sort of nostalgic. The melody here is the strongest. Sometimes I, I, I step back and I was surprised that it kept going because of the fact that the melody is almost seems like it's apart from the rhythm of the bass. And there's that cool, uh, 
it, you know, it, it seems to be all in 4-4, although it seems like they might occasionally throw in, like, a, a measure of two beats in there every once in a while. But either way, it still feels like they're two separate entities. The the melody's rhythmic structure and then the uh, and then the, the bass's rhythmic structure, the bass's main riff that drives the track. That was a cool dynamic. Well, Gotta it, say, I was impressed with that right up front. It gave the verses... Uh, well, the verse, because we're only in the first one. It gave that verse... The first verse, kind of a dynamic that we really didn't have in the other song and a cohesion for the track pretty much since it started. That, I don't know. I mean, it, it felt tighter than when we got to the chorus. Because once you get to the chorus of the uh, song... And that's where I didn't want... That's, that's right there. Chorus. It's not a chorus. What is it, though? You think it's a chorus. It's actually a bridge. The way it's being used, because this this song has a kind of a weird structure to it. It's either got two distinct choruses or a, a, an unusual format to it because it goes, it's it's sort of verse, chorus A, verse, chorus A, chorus B, which gets repeated. Another verse, chorus A, vort, chorus B, ad nauseum. And here's where... The, wasn't, the, that wasn't as odd to me, though, to be honest. I think that the structure just, was that pretty tight with what you just described, rears on pop structure. Yeah. Blatantly. Yeah, that's... But here's here's the thing, that first course, which we're, I'm going to call a bridge because of how short and sweet it is, and it it does function as a bridge, um, in the overall scheme more so than a chorus, is, I loved how sweet and slow it got down to, I love how how, um, kind of methodical they they decided to, to get that kind of, groovy little. That, that slow side. I like that sweet slowness that they put. I like... And you step to the line. And you step to the line. Kind of falling back on itself. Kind of just really stepping away. Doing the exact opposite of I'm, what they're I'm saying. I'm in the here. middle here. Because what you're describing now is that chorus that has that pretty standard four chord progression and whatnot. Um, the jam never came, which I was actually expecting at this point. Instead, there was that very feel-good piano. I mean, it... And the feel good, yeah, it's walking, it's in the line, it's the, it, it's hard for me to really classify this, because on one hand, I want to say I did feel somewhat of the same thing as John, and maybe the, just the fact that this structure was a bit tighter than the previous track, uh, did kind of help me. Not to say, though, that it's anything groundbreaking. I mean, uh, this had some things in common with Elton, um, and yet it still had that, that reggae thing that survived in... It was just, very uplifting. It just felt very scatterbrain, though, oh, too. Oh, no, no. Scatterbrain is simply not the word for this. This is a very straightforward track. I, I don't see how you can really go I the scatterbrain route. I think it was because it, the big issue, and this is where I do see where sort of Storm's coming from, is that um, that second chorus that starts with, try to see the future from the line. Where it's it, it kind of goes into a completely different mode as as the rest of the song from the other two parts of the song. It's it's another yeah you got the same sort of rhythm being built throughout it, and there's nods towards the previous work, but it that that got really poppy, really poppy. It did and repetitive, and it was so. Is this the unlike. chorus or is this after the fact? This is that other chorus. <laughs> That other that's the only way I can explain it. It's another chorus. It's it is different from the bridge of you st and you step the line. That sweet sort of melody. It's it it gets kinda just a little too jumpy 
which doesn't match the reggae theme they were doing and doesn't match the sweet melody they were trying to do in the other piece. All right, it then really, I'll, I'll, I'll really take the, hurt it. I'll take the other route here, and that is that um, I, I'm definitely not going to go so far as to call this like a great song because even though I do think it has more direction and more of a place for me than the first track, it would fit swimmingly in a Barnes & Noble uh soundtrack or or even the department store thing that i like to mention but yet not present day like back in the 80s and 90s so for me this did feel a little bit dated and you're right the the repetition there i think the reason we find it so repetitive is because we find it a little bit dated this time i'm i'm using the dated word this this is uh this is one of those cases i i I think it's just been there done that but it doesn't apply to the whole song that's the thing It, it doesn't apply to that that previous chorus that you mentioned, it doesn't apply to, to the verses that the have verses, that, that interesting beat work. Well, yeah, I said that the, yeah. I enjoyed the verses, and I didn't think that they were that way at all. Yeah. But like, I can't go so far as to use the word scatterbrain, you see my point. I still think the tonality is very, is very um, it's fluid on this track, but it does seem like it lost its edge at when, the second it goes for that second chorus. Okay. I think that's the problem. It's, like, the edge that had been there, it just drops off. I, I think it's because it's it vocally and lyrically there's a even though it's not an expansive song at all uh, on either of those parts there's a lot more investment in the in the verses than that chorus that really repetitive yeah chorus. and then it seems like after that they decided to go the most safe route like the safest uh, the safest idea one could possibly come up with for the framework of the song it's not scatterbrained it's direct this is not a case of it being a separate song, a separate entity. It's a case of them going the direction that is going to please everyone. And, of course, we don't always follow that because we're like, oh, we wanted more, we wanted more. But there are a lot of people, I think, out there who might just, you know, they're going to groove is the wrong word, but they're going to zone out to it the same way I always say that you zone out to tracks at department stores. But if you listen to what the verses actually say, I love the line, dry mouth push it out, I can hear my heart pound, a hero's what I'm not. Yeah, I love that. It's, That's I great. Mean, Voices scream, flashes fair, frozen as the people stare, my crucifixion shot. And again, it's that rhythm that really makes this. It does have a pretty distinct rhythm when it comes right down to it in those verses. That's right out of the verse you're reading. Right? Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's, it's the way the bass interacts with his meter of the, that particular verse that I just, I just love. Um, beyond that, though, especially since we started talking about the the later portion, I want to defend it only because I think the piano pop thing that this starts going for, once it gets there, is a little timeless to some extent. It's why we still listen to Elton. It's why we still listen to, uh, you know, uh, Billy Joel and all that. But it does seem like it's kind of the, 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 the dredges of their own work. Not that anything they ever did was was crappy, although some people would certainly argue so. I still think this is like pulling from the bottom of that particular barrel. Probably, yeah. I yeah. mean, I don't know. Yeah, well, so it's, it's th- not something I ca- I can really, you know, put the crappy stamp on. If it happens to bore a few people, well, that's okay, and it's not the most inventive in reference to that so particular it's course. It's not but... crappy, but it's not great either. It's just kind of okay. <laughs> you know, it's, it's kind it's, of in that middle. Well, I I think by uh, in that outro that 
sixth-ish repetition. I was trying to just hang on at that point. I wanted, I wanted something, anything. Could just move forward, go back to the bridge, go back to repeat the verse again, repeat the first verse. I don't care. Just give me, give me back in that. Room. Give me the verses. <laughs> give me the verses. Just give me this, all the verses. This chorus is just, especially that outro, just dragged. It I think dragged. I am also going to say, you know, the more I think about it, I, I, you're right. I mean, I mean, I'm right. Scatterbrain is the wrong word, but I'm going to give you some leeway on that. I do think that there's a problem just in the, with the fact that the verses are so intricate and then the chorus is so dull. And that's not to say, ju- that's not looking at the issue of um, of just the chorus as being dull. I'm saying it actually does cause a problem in, in transition because it, it, it sort of creates this halting cyclical structural pattern of this track because it did, I mean... On one hand, it's breaking the mold by doing that. On the other hand, it, it, it really can't decide where it is. It can't decide whether it wants to be a pop song or a very, very particularly edgy reggae track. So that is a bit of, more of a distinction. It won't go so far as scatterbrained, but there's something almost tantamount to a divorce there in just uh, execution. And especially at the end, uh, once it gets to that, that piano solo, that very feel-good piano solo that just it jams out to... It almost had this song that never ends kind of feel. Like, it felt like... I mean, I believe, if I'm not correct, it goes to a fade-out, doesn't it? Yes. Yeah. A yeah. very typical fade-out. Yeah. And it wasn't... I mean, the piano solo was kind of take it or leave it at that point. Because you already are familiar with the uh, well, overall was... character of the track. And a piano solo kind of just slips right in there. Wasn't was going to blow enough. you away. It was long enough you could both take it and leave it. It was. It was just... Ad nauseum. It was long enough for you to decompress. <laughs> <laughs> or get compressed. Yeah. Uh, to some. And speaking of compression. What? Devotion to a dream. I'm doing a bad segue. Oh, oh, terrible segue. Yeah, terrible segue. Well, good job. Uh, thank you. That fits nowhere here. I don't know. I'll, I'll try to find something. You work Devotion on to a dream. So yeah, this one is where I start to get uh, annoyed i guess um, my issue with this song right off the bat is the, the <laughs> you know how much how much of a curmudgeon we're coming off as right now though because outwardly this song begins so cheery like i mean super cheery i understand the uh, the the sigh of 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 you know exhaustion here because we're not terribly into what i just branded as department store music but i felt like muppets are gonna break out at any minute here this had much more of a ben folds feel more of that modern piano rock vibe so i'll get back with to your exhaustion health... but i want to convey that this is still kind of a it's a positive thing i'm not gonna well, feel depressed I... when i listen to this no that would no feel so no wrong. But my frustration isn't from the emotion of the song it's the emotions i'm going through listening to the song i'm just so annoyed that Fish is putting out processed department store pop rock. Like I, I would not say that this. I is can't even that. go that far. It's processed country rock. Okay, not pop. country rock. Who cares? Because it's processed and predictable though. This no, song. no, no, no. There is one silver lining on this gray cloud. Because every silver lining's got a gray cloud. 
the lyrics in this song are really standout-ish. But would you have gotten those lyrics just by listening to it? Yes, because there's so little going on otherwise, I got the lyrics on a first take. This is why we had the three of us here, because John can always pick up these lyrics first. See, I yeah, personally These didn't. lyrics I picked up. I didn't up either. Right I'm with Steve. I was so annoyed, and not annoyed, but I was just so disillusioned with the rest of the song that I didn't care to pay enough of attention to the lyrics. And you're, Actually, you're second on that list in, in more likely to notice lyrics, so... Yeah, um, that says something. In yes. fact, there, no. In fact, there was a interesting effect which didn't quite quite come off as epic as they were going for. But when they started doing uh, the first verse, um, after the first two lines of the verse, they actually put the chorus within the verse in an echoey chorus actual situation, uh, going back and forth with no more phone calls when. And then chorus breaks in, it's today's, the vows are broken. You don't say what you mean, it's today, the charade is open. It's that back and forth that was kind of refreshing and and, and created a nice little duality to it, but it was surrounded by kind of lackluster, I think would be the word, everything else. The vocals weren't truly moving. Okay, I'm going to convey my overall impressions of this track here in, in sequential order. Dug the bass a little more here. Was glad to hear the the organ reprise, just just sparingly in the background. I kind of loved the whole choir chorus feel. It really was catchy, even if it was a little um, bland by what we were expecting, especially after the the dramatic first track. But the crux here begins for me begins with the riff. The riff, the overall riff that 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 guides this song through was just so boring to me. After a while, it just had the, that same aimless, happy feel. And this is where I think Matt's, uh, Matt's uh, issues are, are justified from, uh, from where he began with this track. That it, it's not so much that you're sighing at the fact that it's, you know, oh god, I've heard this already, but it is almost like, yeah, you, you, you've heard this already. It's happiness light. And if you're going to feel happy, you might as well feel really happy. You might as well go balls to the wall with it. This is interesting in the fact that we actually are dealing with, with more chords here than we were dealing with, like, say, that, that happy uh, outro in the first track, that happy jam feel. We're dealing with more chords, more of the whole pop feel here. And the structure here was, was less evasive to me than in the previous track, that whole, uh, that whole reggae structure with the odd rhythms. And that was one of my main reasons for actually accepting that track uh, into one of my more preferable uh, songs on this album, just because of that subtle manipulation of pop structure. But this, however, had none of that. It was totally straightforward, and the riff did not help. It just it felt like something I've heard before. And it leaves you, especially considering that country rock uh, backdrop here, which, yes, dips into Ben Folds. Yes, it dips into Elton. But that's just highlighting the fact that there's a lot of Elton influence in Ben Folds. Either way, it does still have this, like, you're driving, you're driving, you're driving, and you're just trying to stay only uplifted enough that you do not fall asleep at the wheel. But you're on, like, one of the straightest roads in America, just heading due west, and you've been doing that for, like, five hours. More than that, it's the company that you keep. I feel like I'm watching a movie about two really boring people driving across country. And yet, lyrically, it's actually a, a pretty deep kind of introspective look at 
a relationship. I love this line. This is one of my favorite lines on the actual <laughs> there's no, album. There's no moment in this track that highlights that uh, emotionally yet, from a musical perspective, though. Yet, listen to this. No more promises, no more keeping score, no more wondering what I stay here for. We broke the awkward silence with polite and practiced lies while images occupied our minds. See, that's interesting. That's and a, I, that really that's, is interesting. But there's, here's a the thing. It's so uneventful in its presentation. Well, this... I could only justify it on this on this one account, and um, this is going to be very divided between uh, those out there who like this kind of thing or not. If you're driving to something, and I do, I have met a lot of people who who prefer to drive to music that you don't have to focus on too much. Now, the funny thing is that for me, that works a little bit opposite because as a driver i find that i actually can focus on the music considerably when i'm driving because really the driving becomes the the activity that you can put second most in your mind especially if you're a good driver and you've been driving long enough then you should be able to somewhat zone out to the road and and all of the alertness that goes into driving should be second nature to you then you can focus on the music so why would you want background music there that's just me. There is that other portion who prefer the background music. In which case, this is kind of an interesting take on that total zone-out driving while perhaps contemplating things that are a little bit more closer to home, as you gather from these lyrics. Yeah. Yeah, but my biggest problem with... I'm not saying that's a theme or anything, but I'm saying that is the, the genre twist. That is the, the medium for which this is used. I can I I don't hate this track. That's the thing. I don't hate it either. I just I don't it's extremely unoffensive. Well, the problem with this <laughs> the biggest problem with this extremely, track and mentioning extremely those, unoffensive is our biggest the, big, the biggest problem with this track and the lyrics that John is citing is that I got none of that emotionally from hearing it. And that's a problem. When you have musics that are, uh musics lyrics that are that poignant red, but I get nothing from the track. That's a complete emotional disconnect that is going to fall to song hard. Just, and again, right, it's but if, not, you, if you follow what I said, that, I, that very well could be a... You know, people do not always link their music with their um, immediate goings-on. Yeah. So it serves a different population in that. I guess, but it, it's not me. And I don't think it's... I just don't think it's well, very... Just as long as we're covering all bases. I just don't think it's a great idea to have a distinct and highly divided, thick divider between your emotional well-being and the this what the song's trying to convey. I think the fact that the lyrics only have an impact from being read or have a much higher impact from being read is a problem. Unless, revisit my theme here, the two very, very boring people driving across country are so not in touch with their emotions. And they're trying to keep from killing each other. Yeah. All right. Nope. Putting so... a pin in it. You're John. Nope. <laughs> nope. Not happening. Okay. The John thing. I'm going to say a lot of things to you that should not be said on, on on air right now, after the podcast, for what you just said to Steve. Oh, because I called him you? We're going to have a murder on the podcast you keep this up. <laughs> so track four. We're the two people. Oh, God. It's snuff radio. That's exactly what we're getting See, we're the here. two people. See, the third one's already dead. Yeah, I got dead, it. Dead, you got it. All right. Next, you're going to tell me Silent Green is people. Ugh. It's people. Halfway to the moon. Much funkier exposition. Yes. Kind of like that. That bass. Love it. Can't be tamed. 
mysterious. Although, although, this, and this is just another bias, I have frequently mentioned how much I personally love funk, so this totally just went into my realm here automatically. Not so much, you know, that the, the overall tone of this album is really changing here, um, but it's more so that it's a jam that, especially if you're talking about funk, it's a jam that often does center around a single major chord a lot of times with funk. But with an added flair, there's attitude that goes with funk to me, which sort of allows me to ignore all that I said earlier about said earlier jams that are just major for the sake of major. <laughs> Happy-go-lucky, let's just keep driving. <laughs> You're crying on the inside. This is not that. This is funk. You actually feel like you can get moving to it, in which case, perfect place to zone out to. Yeah, I... Yeah. This is the fine lines that you ride, though, when you're talking about happy jams. Because there's those also, two distinct types. That's the fine line that exists between I'm bored or I'm invested. Keep it going. You right. And, and I follow, and I agree with the instrumentation of this song. I definitely agree that that funk really, really gets you grooving and really gets you moving. The problem is then, after a minute, is it a minute? Maybe a little, little less... The vocalist comes in, and he should be having a blast with this funk track, and he is not. He couldn't be more bored. He's the emotional baseline of a flat line. That is not true. He could, in fact, be more bored. <laughs> there is inflection in this, but the inflection is within such a narrow range that it's like a wet blanket on everything else that was going on musically. The vocals are so... Mediocre, middling, just well, yeah. no and highs, no lows. And there's well, there's a flat delivery in his tone, and it really kind of kills any emotional connection. The <laughs> vocals feel like they have a curfew; they they have to be home by nine. <laughs> what? Okay, okay, I'm calling you. I out attempted on that another metaphor. John metaphor. <laughs> oh, you're both gonna hear it. I uh, love it. Anyway, it, it yeah, they're they have a cap. It feels like you know there could be they could do so much more with this given framework. You know, reach up a little bit higher, reach lower. There's it, a problem with inflection here. They are sort of just just in the zone and not really pushing those boundaries too much. That was one of my biggest gripes here. Um, and then the other big gripe I have is just that. The development here was really, really slow. I mean, we went from this intriguing exposition centering around funk where the rhythms are, are, are trickier and hence usually more interesting, and it, it just jives the right way for me. Can't explain it. But, and oh, and even the chords, like as it progresses, it does darken it up a bit at times, so we actually have some substance here, some depth. But that's just the exposition. I'm so less impressed with the rest because of this development. It's just, it's ambling. And the piano solo, as we do get after a little bit. Even it, groovy, cool, but kind of lax in a little safe. And I hate to say that the second uh, a piano solo comes along, because normally I'm, I'm just smitten. But even it felt constricted by the chord progression. It, it, it just repeats the primary phrase a lot, and then again has the, almost the, the analogous problem to the vocals. It just... It just is in that middle range. It could be reaching. It could be doing fancier things. It could be it doing could lower be... notes, higher notes. It's, it's... it's not so much about lower and higher as just sort of stepping into into the, the spotlight a bit. But it feels like it's been given a certain volume maximum and a certain, uh, a certain fun threshold level maximum, and that's all it will be allowed to do. I, I felt like there's so many, so many things in this, in this song that... We're trying to fight the chord progression, and that's just the main problem. The riff, similar to the last track, 
it just it just got boring again. It, it, like even the funk riff, I hate to say it, it got a little boring, especially toward the end. You got the major one to minor four, as if that's a hint at something unresolving, but yet it kept resolving. The, the lyrics speak to a sort of like stream of consciousness kind of idea of uh, just what you're thinking of, and a lot of times this can be very enjoyable. That's kind of what was going on with the line. Uh, that was kind of what was going on with Devotion to a Dream. But unlike those tracks, and unlike other bands like uh, Laszlo Bane or, or uh, Modest Mouse, when they do that kind of stream of consciousness uh, lyrical work, it gets fun and enjoyable. This is kind of the subconscious, I'm bored stream of thought. The music is playing that same way. It's just... It's the back of your mind when you're kind of thinking about work and what you have to do for tomorrow. It's nothing high energy. It's nothing that really is for mind, for thought, thinking about anything important. I won't go so far with that in this track. I do think the overall uh, funk framework kind of left it a couple notches above the previous track for sure. But, 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 it, but the way it just keeps going on and on and on... I think it's it a loss. Brings of... it back to the back of your mind there. Yeah, you know, I guess that's right. In terms of progression, it 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 gets pushed further to the back of your mind than you really expect from the outset, and that's a that's a tragic thing considering they had such a good idea in the beginning. It it um, it doesn't make the best of what it has. No, that's it that's really it falls the problem. Short essentially. I will say, however, that the closing piano solo, the final piano solo slash jam was better than than the prior one i'll admit that but i think the overall ratio of this just bothered me length repetition won over the interesting idea work that did surface but eh, i don't know i don't know i can't really i can't really add this up it was clouded by by that that two chord progression that that major one to, to minor four when you think about the piano was very understated in the production work, where it could have been spotlighted a lot more. And if they'd spotlighted it, it might have even helped here and in later tracks if they'd spotlighted it there as well. I think the problem is is that they're kind of taking that jam band mentality of, oh, let's just see where it goes, man. And it goes nowhere. Yeah. yeah. Um, Winter Queen. Yes, Ooh, track five. Winter Queen. So we Ooh. get, we for the first time... In the album, we get something that's actually a little intriguing. Um, the overall backdrop for this song is this kind of mood music that it conveys very early on in the Nearly. intro. Well, even you think the word Winter Queen, and, yeah. and so far everything is jiving with the title. You get that sound of cool, gentle wind in the, in the, in the foreground, and then in the distant, in the background, super distant guitar, just comping delicately really tasteful. I mean, this actually plays around with volume more than any of the previous uh, tracks did, where everything was I, I kind of just say, mid-range. listening to this in the car for the first time, I thought my window was open. <laughs> and uh, I listened to it again on headphones after that, and it was... It was the biggest depth we've gotten on this album, just because of that. Even, be, even though it is so very simple... So, so easy to actually conceptually make. It's, it has a depth to it just by being pointed. Well, if we haven't proved anything 
th- th- this far along in our podcast. Obviously, simple never never means uh, boring. In fact, there's been many intricate things going on uh, on this album so far, to be honest. Um, but it it's not, it wasn't enough to really reach that that next threshold. Whereas this just seems very straightforward and honest. And that's uh that's what that's the main thing that it's got going for it. Beyond that, let's move to melody. Melody here got a little bit of reverb. The vocals actually have a pleasant vibrato here. Well, that was interesting because it was also you know I haven't heard great outstanding vocals yet on this album and this this uh, had kind of an edge to it where he felt he was he was at least in line with the mood and yet he seemed a little bit separate in character perhaps because he was his his volume was turned up so high that it took the spotlight away from that background which I was enjoying a little more. Yeah, but I would at least say at this time that the lyrics... I noticed the lyrics in the song because there was an inflection and there was, more importantly, some semblance of emotion in this track. You got this kind of sure. mood fluctuation feel. And the lyrics, the way he was singing, conveyed that. It gave kind of put you through these Which is why I'm emotions. willing to overlook the volume thing, really. It's, yeah. it's also the way that they use the pacing... Uh, of allowing the lyrics to to come forward, his vocals to come forward, and then to recede, and have a break, uh, a big break between lines, that right. that gave what he was saying so much more importance, even though it could have stood up on its own, like like the lyrics themselves, and one of the lines really touched. Well, I me. think the instruments actually could have stood off on their own, so you could go either way with that. Like, this could this would work by itself as poetry on top of being part of a song. This isn't one that, that stands only with its music. It stands alone as well. And this could have served as a... could have worked as an instrumental without but, the poetry. But together, it does... I, I'm not having a problem with the volume... I think it stands better than either would separately, because it's when he does he does the final verse, because um, there's no real choruses here. No, no, no. There is definitely a chorus. Actually, the, I one, remember one chorus, the, but it doesn't get repeated. So can you call it a chorus? Oh, sh- we've done that plenty of times. We, you, <laughs> when it, we, you can sense a chorus whenever it's uh, uh, got this inherent climactic quality to it. But I remember uh, distinctly that the chorus was interesting because it actually had somewhat of a jam beneath it, sort of between the uh, a bass, bass drum, guitar, keyboard, all started stacking up here, which, uh, which, I, I think it kind of pushed this forward a little bit. It, it, it did bring us out, I think, of the, the cool, gentle setting that we were in, the, the, well, the winter setting, as we are talking about the winter queen here. It felt very cool, it felt very solitary, but, uh, we, are, we do get a little bit more busy at this point. And I didn't necessarily have a problem with that because it was a slow, tasteful build. It wasn't, you know, like they were trying to force any one thing on us. And uh, it goes even even further later on, especially by the time it gets to the horn work. That was one of my favorite parts because it introduces more instruments. And otherwise, I mean, prior to this, instruments have been, you know, kind of stagnant. We know what to expect in this particular set here that Fish has got going, but they brought in horns, and uh, this very clean electric guitar sound, both really rise together and fall together, build into a climax where the keyboard can take us into the final 
into the final mini-verse, which you could argue isn't as necessary, but uh, I, I think it was a pretty clever way to close out this track, all of which was just jiving for me. Well, it was it was the combination... It, that, that guitar work, I don't think would even have been as pointed if I hadn't heard the lyrics directly preceding it. Prince of Music on guitar neglects to play a single bar but music trapped inside his head resounds and fills the space instead i love that it's very powerful and it and it really does push out the end of the track as far as giving you this 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 sense of void but not void as in emptiness this kind of it's a sweeping power. Yeah, this kind of uh, uh, airiness of this winter winter scene. And to even go back to the first opening lines, the Winter Queen looks up and sighs as your closer. Uh, gives a, is is de- both depressing and empowering. Mm-hmm. And it resolves the song very well. The song actually resolves very well. It doesn't just taper off or or end suddenly. It wraps up in a nice nature that doesn't feel forced or feel. You might say that it does end a little suddenly, but it ends on that. It ends on an ambiguous note, which I I, I tend to like as far as endings go. It always leaves you wanting something more, and I think that's an okay thing to leave you on. It's okay to leave you wanting more as long as it's given you something. It's when you get nothing. As long as it gave you enough up until that point, of course. Um. I will see this track in, in terms of, of, of three different uh, levels of expectations. I think in the beginning I was immediately just draw, whisked away by, by, by exposition. But then in, in the middle, there was uh, a little bit of a problem that I had. With, even though the verses, they're kind of soothing. So I'm not going to be a, a, you know, a, a dick and use the word boring here. <laughs> but it, it does feel like it belongs as part of a, a soundtrack to a PBS Morning Kids show. That was one thing I noted. Here, because it gets a little bit too soothing, like it's trying to kind of dumb me down a bit. Either way, and I, I, I suppose you might say that that pulled me around away from from the exposition, but I still like the slow, tasteful build. So brings me to the third, uh, final expectation of this. I was once again blown away by the amount of instrumentation that they brought in here. the The climax was was solid. Probably one of the best climaxes on on any track on this album it might be the only climax on this album actually yeah considering we have so much mid-range stuff speaking of mid-range stuff and that takes us into track six sing monica so initially when i had heard this song the first time i kind of got into it only because this chorus was so singable but upon multiple listens i realized that it's kind of crap i mean it's not no, no, actually, I'm going to be harsh on this track. Screw it. Um, this is a crappy fish song. It's a crappy song. It's, it's, it's totally predictable. This is the pop song. This one, step by step, is a song that you could guess beat for beat from the choruses to how it's sung to what the lyrics will be to, to the, the drum beats. I mean, it just... You can even predict the lyrics. I kind of almost expected... A, a a a soft uh, trailing G repetition after a hard uh, uh, plural T like uh, rhyming scheme 
Like, I was getting to the point where I could almost predict what the next words were going to be used to rhyme. Not what was rhyming with the actual word starts, but what the next pair of rhymes were going to be. It was getting to be almost that predictable. Mm. Lyrically and vocally, this is another song that, while he's not really being in a middling range, he just kind of stays in that high energy and expects us to go along with it. I got one good thing to say about this track. Oof, the-, the phasing was an interesting choice. Some sonic diversity just in the effect realm, which we don't get too much of. Although this is a good time to bring up my earlier comment uh, from the very beginning in how the same stuff uh, could be achieved on stage. A part of me liked the premise, for instance, of Winter Queen, the, the previous track, because those effects in the really beginning they can't really be achieved on stage. That's something that is certifiably studio-worthy. Other than that, though, a lot of this track here is easily transferable. Phasing is something that you can do on stage. So it's so similar to a live album that I've lost distinction. It isn't special. It's a real throwaway track. It's not so much a jam as it is an endless refrain. Yeah, I would agree with that. I don't really have a terrible amount more to say about this track. Don't even read along in this one. Yeah, the lyrics aren't really worth it either. You charged me up, excited me, upended and re-righted me. You hooked me up, you wired me. But when my my tread was worn, retired me. I mean, I don't think that's so bad, to be honest. I just, I'm, this is not what I'm focusing on in a track like this. Yeah, Although perhaps it wants you to, I had because nothing, the... I had nothing musically to focus on in this case. And also, I these lyrics wondering. are very sing-songy, um, child's, ch- children's story kind of line, 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 line. Just, and rhyming the same, like, third word in every sentence. It's there's, really there's childish. There's no long form here. It's short snippets. And it's funny how the music actually reflects that, like, how I'm talking about this being an endless refrain. Um, it does feel as if they're jamming out to it, but don't be fooled. This is not so much a jam in the fact that I detect a lot of instruments doing this intricate solo work. It's really just repeating the same phrases over and over again to to jam out. And that's using the, uh, the, the, the metaphorical speak, jam out, as in you just sort of keep the ending going for a while. But don't move it in new places. Don't do anything particularly interesting just keep it going for just maybe a minute longer so we get to that that last timestamp. that's what i detect here i can't really go too far beyond that um i also want to be aware of being a little bit too harsh here i still don't think the music is terrible it's just not interesting that's the problem it's it's all been there done that and i don't think this really fit the studio uh studio album framework too much on that note i'd like to go into something much more fun track seven Five, five, five. So this, from the very get-go, gives you a wonderful funk groove that we have not heard since... Uh, when did we hear it? What was the last track that had a funk groove with that? Was that the line that had the um, funk groove? It wasn't too long ago. No, Halfway to the Moon, track four. Oh, halfway to the Moon, okay. But instead of just completely destroying it, it, it works... It works a little bit further. It propels itself a little bit further in this introduction than what we got in Halfway to the Moon. I felt like Halfway's Fung just stagnated very quickly for me. While here, they felt I felt like they were actually trying to have fun 
and trying to use funk to be fun. <laughs> That's actually an interesting way to put it. Yeah, and and ah, this is gonna go down a total tonal preference route, but I think it was a more genuinely funk track because minor. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe that's again. It's what I keep saying about major chords. It it's um it doesn't always lo leave a lot of room for for development. But when you're in minor, you can do really really interesting things. So here you have that minor framework. Really really great uh great rhythms. The keyboard steps in, and the comping here is is just the soul of this track. I love that tonality. It 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 brings out uh. Brings uh, Billy Preston to mind, actually. I mean, almost the same exact. Uh, I forget. I forget the name of the keyboard keyboard that he used, but uh, but this is totally right in that realm. Um, in addition, there's these little accents that are visited by. Uh, I almost want to call them like gospel accents because a choir steps in to to iterate these accents as if they are commenting like you know in the middle of like a church choir but it's, it's very sparing but it's an interesting uh rhythmic tool i will say though my issue with this is the vocalist he yeah. is bored this, Flat isn't, out this bored. isn't boring the vocalist isn't even on board on this one well and the worst part is he's not even trying to sell it and how can you get behind a song where the vocalist doesn't sell it i mean some of especially when the song actually does have a great groove to it i mean you know you got to put your best in well cause you got to match the instrumentation i will say this about certain pop artists even if the songs are kind of lackluster when you emotionally sell a lyrical line or a or an inflection or even just in style it at least puts some oomph behind what's happening and then you can kind of get on board i think the story that they were going for here was supposed to be <coughs> depressing or maybe even a little bit combative. But he doesn't sound combative, like that. Yeah, the, the vocals don't even come close to combative and depressing. I, maybe he's just never been depressed before and doesn't know what it can sound like. I wouldn't make that sweeping generalization, but the song does not hint to anything other than that. It's just, I... I don't know. I don't know. I, on, I'm, I'm it, very... It's, it's, it's... They bought my soul for a pile of cash. Everybody else got paid out. They're closing in. I gotta dash. I gotta find a way out. I think I had more inflection in my voice than he did. It was... It was maddening that it was, once again, just this wet wet towel on top of everything else. And he didn't care this time. It felt like he didn't care. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to go so far as to make any claims about, like, you know, inspiration or anything. I think... This is one of those cases that it, where it strikes me that the vocals were an afterthought. And I can't really speak to this either, but it, it kind of it comes off as such. You know, as much as you want to look at, especially as a listener, as these, these tracks being the, these, these tightly knit uh, products that were just instantly formed, all ideas, all at once, often it, it's a matter of chronology you know you come up with a groove and then you build on it and then at some point you add some harmonies and then maybe you add a melody or maybe the melody came first i'm sorry i feel like his 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 singing on this came absolutely last and it wasn't able to uh well actually you know come and think of it i'm re I'm, I'm retracing my steps a little bit here could be just the opposite if the melody was written for a song that ended up getting more funkier in the aftermath point is 
it's an issue of chronology. And the product is that you have something that lags far behind the other thing, and that's just, it's blatant. It's hard to ignore. Well, it's been rampant on this record, too. Things not measuring up to other things. I mean, that's the yeah, part. Yeah, that's been more uh, over uh, over the horizontal, you know, in a, in a structural perspective. Oh, right, this yeah. is actually at the moment. Like, vertically, in the moment, I noticed um, something's awesome. Something else is not so awesome. That's right, the issue. That's fair. Moving on to track eight, Waiting All Night, which... okay. If you didn't know the title of the song by us telling you... You will know it very soon. Because when you listen to it, it's all they ever say for part of the song. I'm not going to let you badmouth this song. No. I'm not going to let you badmouth the exposition, especially. Exposition here, beautiful. I'm flat out saying it. I can't, I can't, I can't uh, be in a so much of a curmudgeonly state at this point in the album to ignore what's going on here. It opens up with... Uh, this really airy ninth chord, which is built around a rhythm that I would liken somewhat to bossa nova. Kind of got that 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 beat to it. Very light, you know. Picture uh, "Girl from Ipanema," the most uh, commonly known bossa nova track. I would and say, picture yeah. how light that is, like lounge music that's not supposed to sort of in, invade your territory too much or whatever little romance you're brewing off in the side table, but. And at the same time, it's it paints a pic and actively is painting a picture, painting a setting for you to engage yourself in. This does the same exact thing. Don't ask me why rhythm has that power, but it easily does, and it provides this track with a lot of depth. And then after that, we get the, the these little guitar accents, loving that too. Overall, this is just a mood kind of song. This is the. It's not that it really goes a lot of places here it's a fairly stagnant track but what it has going for it is that constancy and that's actually to its benefit a lot of tracks as we just mentioned structure wise don't have that constancy they will switch it up they'll move to something completely different this, this particular track is is has got it's got its emotion picked out well, yeah, I'll say that the slow burn, kind of slow build nature of this track really helps it along. The fact that it gives itself some time to develop and goes somewhere, but it takes its time and finds those moments is what really makes this song much better than a lot of the other tracks on the record. It yeah, has a, a smooth to it. Smoothness? Smoothness. It is a long, drawn-out piece. Uh... But the, the there's issues, and that is in the first half. This this track, the first half and the second half, really ha became polar opposites for me. The first half had uh, vocals that were trying to do, I guess, sad again or depressing. Didn't work too well because they were a little bit too much at the forefront. It's when the majority of the actual vocal work was over and it became that exposition when it became just about the instruments that they started building complexity doing minor changes to the chordal work minor key changes to the guitar work that the 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 smoothness you thought that melody first had really became so much more intricate that's a good observation and, and it is kind of highlighting when, how in general uh on this album the vocals have have very rarely aided um track it's all seems to be the instruments and it was other little things too little uh electronic warbles little electronic pulls oh yeah 
that really just added a lot of texture to the simplicity. And then they brought back the vocals, but in such a way, such a background, uh, outside the room, edge of edge of what they were saying, just echoing into the rest of the music that really did create the first major combination of powerful vocals, not powerful lyrics, powerful vocals with powerful music. Also, and it the... did it did it did something that had not been achieved on the album before, even. Even Winter Queen, I was getting more strength from the lyrics than the vocals. Just yeah. because of what was being said. This was really the only time I was I was getting how it was being said to be moving. Yeah. Also there should be some, some relation with the with the uh title, Waiting All Night. You should expect some level of, of, of steadiness throughout this. Um as it is bound to be a it, it's implied to be somewhat of a, a three, four o'clock in the morning track, so it's got its mindset picked out. It's got its emotion picked out. I I was very happy with the uh, with the goal here and the way they achieved it. Um, the the nitpicks, you know, they're kind of we've already said them in general, and they do breach into this track, but certainly not so heavily because the core idea was so strong. And uh, with that, I would like to move on to the next track, which I think we'll all have some interesting things to say on Wombat. So I'm pretty confident that this is hands down everyone's favorite track on the no, record. No, I like Wintergreen more, but this is a Winter uh, Queen. Winter Queen more, but this is a close, close runner-up. Um, so this song, I mean, first of all, just from the first few seconds, you get immediately a sense of playfulness and fun that you really didn't get in a lot of other places in the record. They're finally kind of letting go of themselves and just going for it. Seeing where the moment takes them and building this kind of... this playhouse that they can work within. They gave it parameters, and then they bounced off the walls, and they created this thing that you kind of giggled at, but went along for the ride. This song also is like a piece that's under construction being built right before your eyes. It starts off with, in this case, uh, satirically good, bad vocals, and very light, almost acoustic uh, guitar work that, honestly, it, it's, it's almost bad, but in that it's actually pretty damn good because it progresses fairly rapidly into interesting pieces. For that reason, it does come off as satire, doesn't it? Um, one interesting thing uh, that you mentioned, Matt, was just a, just a minute ago, was how it sees where the moment takes them. And that's funny, considering that we thought we were going to get, gonna get so much of that, you know, here on this album, coming from a, a jam rock perspective. Instead, we had these structural shifts where they saw not where the moment takes them, but where the allotted interval takes them. And where it takes them in that particular moment, which is not always the great choice, because it, it defies um, linear thought. It, 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 it actually creates markers, you know, and if you are only beholden to those markers, then that's no longer linear. That's, that's sort of self-inflicted linear thought. It's a little odd. This, you're right, does actually stay a little bit closer to that. And yet, at the same time, it comes off to me as more meticulous. Now, who knows? Again, we can sit here theorizing all day as to whether this was, the, the rhythms here were, were 
painstakingly thought out and then reconstructed, or whether they were perhaps reconstructed from a total fluid uh, improvisation, a total a jam session. I'm inclined to believe that because of that, that, that satirical quirk we noticed in here, I'm thinking it did come out of an improvisation, but we'll never know this for sure. I want to talk about tonality here now, because once again, I'm throwing out the word funk here, and yet I, I can't go all the way with that because this goes beyond what I even know of funk. This, I'm going to use this term perhaps for the first and last time ever, avant funk. This is what I get from this. Definitely the last time ever. Let's go with the last time ever. Avant funk. Nah, I hope I get to use it again. I really do. I thought funk was supposed to be avant. Not at all. Funk is very, actually funk is probably the easiest form of bass to learn even though it's awesome. <laughs> wow. Wow. Either way. I think that might be the first and last time we've heard, like, awesome said in such a way. From Steve, at least. Yes. <laughs> Anywho, accents here. Kind of like on the, you know, you hear these little guitar accents step in over this, this, this bass line. And it steps in in odd moments in the measure, like like the three end. It'll just come in there quickly and then depart. And then maybe a couple of measures later, it'll come at the same part and then depart. Again, we have singing that is almost akin to Red Hot Chili Peppers. You know, this sort of... Um, matter-of-factual. Matter-of-factual. I'm definitely not going to go so far as to say anything like rap rock yet, but it does have a flow to it, the flow that you would almost get out of rap. That that rapid-natured, uh, matter-of-factual uh, conveyance. Yeah, and there's one part where, honestly, it's my favorite musical part of the entire album and it's coupled with the lines spit out the seeds gnaw on the pulp suck on the juice and simmer the rinds <laughs> and it undergoes playful like two or three almost tonal shifts in just those short little lines that that was the point where where me and steve had a reaction we looked at each other and went oh yeah that was pretty good right there that was that was really good it's great stuff so that's the thing throughout this entire track you have all these these little intriguing moments and eyebrow raising it it, it really is it's all so glitter it's all glitter and i'm okay i'm it's okay so with different that. from one another but they do feel like they're connected yeah um another thing like an example of such is is the rests very meticulous. Like I said before, it almost fools you enough into thinking this is some sort of great jam. But now, the more and more I think about this, I, I, I'm leaning more toward a uh, meticulous composition here. Because uh, when every instrument, you know, just knows to rest at that particular moment, and then they pull out, you know, only for maybe a beat or a half a beat, whatever, and then falls right back in with uh, another following accent, this back and forth is just, it keeps you moving nonstop. Uh, and then... We have horns again. Horns, not unlike uh, we got a little bit earlier with, um, oh, what was the track that had horn Winter, work here? Winter Queen. Yes, Winter Queen. Mm -hmm. and but they were definitely more prominently featured here than they were. Definitely more prominently featured. And they step in almost to create this, this perfect post-70s, you know, big band orchestrated funk, like the kind you'd, you'd find back in uh, 1970s exploitation films, which for all the uh, opinions you might have about the film, great music. Great music. Uh, one of the dominant composers for that brand of music was uh, Gene Page, who was hired to, to, do, to orchestrate a lot of those films. Seems to me like a forgotten art, but you 
will probably hear me say this in other episodes whenever I can, because it's a fascinating thing to delve into, I think, and an, and an untapped, uh, untapped greatness that can still be gotten out of it. This is, a, is an amazing move from that perspective. This is like an art piece off of that concept. And then they get the, the horns at the end, it takes like the last 30 seconds of this to move it into the next level. They expand to get very melodic. There's the horns I'm talking about. They deepen the tone. They add in these little, uh, these little repeating phrases that almost feels like it's going to move into another thing. But that's the perfect moment for this track to just sort of phase out. It's great. Beyond that, the lyrics are, are hilarious to listen to. Beyond the stuff that, uh... Herbivore. <laughs> that John mentioned. Why are they mentioned. cuddly but muscular? The cuddly but cuddly but deadly, and that's like in the background, as if uh, as if it's a little comment on like, on oh, the oh, dominant yeah, singer. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. The but dominant it's... singer is it's kind of like the theme to the fish TV show, as if the it's like they came up with the riff, and that I assure you came out of improvisation, and then they just decided to say, yeah, it is kind of like a theme. This is the theme to the fish TV show, and they just kept the just microphone kept... running, and they put that in the album. The, Great the, ideas. It, it was at the end. They're just going out on herbivorous crepuscular. Cuddly but muscular, and just repeating that over and over again. And this is one time where re- repetition makes the heart grow fonder. I... I will be fair with one thing though. I think that someone could easily come across to this track and comment on how utterly ridiculous it is. Perhaps, I have a, perhaps I have a to the point that. of fault. I have a, I have an allusion to a previous song we've done, and that is. Because we mentioned it when we were listening to it, they might be Giants' Darlings of Lubberland. This is something that really uh-huh. is kind of out of left field. It's not nearly as good as Darlings. I was going to say that. But I would make the comparison in style and how they approached making this song. It's interesting enough, and to be honest, it raises my eyebrow as much as Darlings did. That's true. Now but... I do like Darlings more. But... I, um, yeah. I don't know, I might have... See how I feel about this at the uh, this end, end of your review. This is a lot of fun. It, does, it doesn't yeah. have the emotional depth, and that's this, where it falls. This it, has no connection to Darlings. None. Sorry. No, just in style. I'm no, I'm saying... The, the, the approach uh, to let me song. finish. I'm saying it can't hold a candle to Darlings as far as amazement and wow factor. But I do see how you're saying it's unique to the album, much like Darlings was. I, However, also... Frankly, I think that your your experience with this album up to this point is, is affecting your view on that a little bit. Had we heard this independently and without somewhat of the, the train wrecks that we had previously, your opinion might be different on that. Because it, 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 it is vehemently apart from this album in terms of complexity and, and inspiration. I just said that. I just said it sets itself apart from the rest of the album. Well, sure, it sets itself apart from the rest of the album. I'm saying that your experience with the next, with the rest of the album, is affecting your experience with this track. Okay, but I'm not quite sure you understand what I'm saying because I'm saying that it does stand no, out. No, no, it's the comment. But that that's it the difference between that and to, Darlings of Lumberland is we already had plenty of intriguing. They might be giants tracks leading up to that point. That was like the icing on the cake. This, this is this an is icing. A, oh, I'm just saying that the icing two without sh- a cake. <laughs> well, I'm yes. I'm just saying I like Darlings way way better. Was what I was saying. As a song, standalone. That's well, more or less what I was saying. Because, but it doesn't hold the candle. That's because this is a that's fun. Too harsh for me. A fun. Musically intriguing. I don't understand but it how it's harsh. Depth. It's does. I, I I'll say that Storm probably doesn't have the depth of emotions with it, and I would definitely agree with that. Darlings had a dark mystique to it, while this is a little bit too face value. 
No, I could really easily go. see how Darlings of Lumberland would be perceived. I mean, I don't. I think the fact that that you had an emotional connect. I don't think I had much of an emotional connection with Darlings of Lumberland, to be honest. I just I mean, thought it, it was some, yeah, it had somewhat of a mystique, but you know, mystique can be achieved in in various ways. So, eh. this is an odd comparison, frankly. Yeah. I think. I mean, I I don't. I don't think it's a, a terrible comparison, but it's but especially if we start going down the road of like you know, well, I prefer this and I prefer that. That's not entirely relevant, but I I do believe this has the mystique of it. I I think that that comparison at least is, is similar. I'm not disagreeing with that. All that's right. for sure. And uh, you know, we've we've sat with this for a week. I would need to sit with this further to see really where it stacks up if we're going to compare. Um, anybody else have anything else to say? Not nope. really. Yeah. Wing I shoot. I still call it. Still call it an art piece in its own right. On to wingsuit. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> so the the song the song starts fairly strong for me. I mean, I really like the first verse. I mean, I really like it instrumentally. The verses are really fun. I really enjoy the instrumentation. Isn't this the one that had the piano chord that you really liked, Steve? I had a piano, uh, a riff that I really liked, riff. which which was sort of an extended riff, almost like a melody unto itself, where uh, you know it went into this whole this whole series for like five to seven seconds or so, and that whole expanse of time, which is actually pretty long for a riff, um, is I think the driving force to to most of these verses. Yeah, it was the core that really really propelled these verses. Yeah. And, and I'm inclined to think, though, that was one of the most intriguing parts. And there's also this little light hi-hat in the background that is incessant. But, you know, much like Waiting All Night, it does provide that same sense of constancy. The only difference here is that whereas Waiting All Night never really pulled away from anything, uh, this does. This does. It yeah. really does. The second it shifts to the choruses... It's, uh, I gotta say, it tanks. Oh, it yeah. Pulls it's the, not... Pulls the emotional plug once again. Here's, here's the thing. It's not so... It's not like we're going, well, the chorus and the verse don't go together. They obviously have similarities in... Well, that's in, like the argument I made in the beginning of the album. Uh, there, there are similarities between the chorus and verse that do make them relatives to one another. That do make them part of the same song. The problem is, the chorus is such a different type of song... It, it goes back to that po- it's, pop it's, structure, if I'm yeah. not mistaken. But it's a sudden change, too. It's almost like the, there's almost no transition between the verse and the chorus. It's just... But it's not like there's a break. I'm not feeling a break between the verse and chorus where I'm going, that was bad. You shouldn't have done that. It's like, I'm, I'm more disappointed in what they did, not how they did it here. Yeah. Um, well, and also it's just this fact that they have this sweeping beauty in the verses and then they don't try and even do anything like that for the chorus. The chorus just it's not necessarily divorced, it fits within the song's flow. It just feels so emotionally disconnected from the verses. Yes. Except there is another example of them doing the same exact thing later on. And that's with the There's outro. There's an example of them doing earlier on. Like no, no, I, said, I mean, I, specifically I made that this observation song. in either the second or third track. I no, no, specifically this song. Okay. There is that, that uh, outro segment. Because, uh, honestly, let's be, let's be frank on this one. The, the lyrics and the vocals weren't too impressive. They just fit what the music was doing. Here... The outro has a, a part where it goes from 
the 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 verse structure to this really awesome outro, but there's no transition. None. It's but it's not like it's not like it's not like there's no the transition is poor and it's a poor transition. It's as if you cut copy pasted where the transition would be and plucked it out and it just literally went from verse to to ending like something was missing. It felt like there was a gaping hole in the track. Like it's, someone had just cut out a section of the reel. I, I looked at it this way and this is the mm. first time I heard it I heard I saw this metaphor because this is this joke of of two mathematicians talking with one another and they're coming up with this proof. And on the left side of the proof is this super complicated formula. On the right side is this super complicated answer. And in the middle all they write is and then something magical happens. And that's what happened here. Something magical happens and they do this amazing outro. It's awesome. It really does bring the whole song together, but there's no nothing for it to glue to because there's there's no build up. There's no exposé. There's no context for this great combination piece at the end. Why? Why? Where was their frame of mind? Where, where's their thought process to this point? Their jam band that has tried to show how they're getting from A to B to C. They skip the alphabet here. There's, there's nothing. What's the context? I'm in kind of agree. I mean, you're right. The, that last, um, that last segment, really did imply that there had been so much going on that brought us to this final moment here together. We get to talk about everything that we've done and and put the period at the end of this long and beautiful sentence. And it's just, I don't remember what half that sentence said. We I got really to don't. The, we got to the <laughs> period without the last three words. Pretty much, and the last three words were presumably or the other metaphors. The like I, I don't, I don't, I'm not. Gonna we go skip to the last chapter, or we fast forward to the ending. It's like or, reading. It's yeah. a spoiler. That's what it ended up being. A spoiler. But there was no... It, it, actually, it, it reminds me of something that um, I'd like to bring up. Uh, we, we all remember Interpol uh, that I brought on the podcast back in early on, back in episode 6. Yep, now, I that remember was, it like yesterday. Do you? Okay. <laughs> I'm going to say yes. That's sarcasm for the audience. But I'm not talking about that album. This is a completely separate thing. That was Interpol's self-titled album, Interpol. They had a previous album from 2007 called Our Love to Admire, which was uh, an interesting inverse, where I felt some of the earlier tracks on that album were a little bit lackluster, and then it gradually started to build and build and build, so that tracks 9, 10, 11 were progressively more epic, and I don't use that term lightly. By the time we had the final outro, which began almost in the same exact way as this did, with the cutout, right? And then transition into this sort of thrash. I'm, I don't mean that in, like, the metal sense, but we repeat a phrase, and we repeat it like it is the anthem to our lives, you know? With that level of confidence. To me, was expertly done in that album, Our Love to Admire 2007. Check it out if you're interested. Because it is all about context. Had that last segment just existed with, say, the earlier tracks on that album, just preceding it, it wouldn't have worked. Wouldn't have worked at all. And that's kind of what I see here. I see, I see something pretty lackluster leading, leading up to 
this seemingly apparent epic outro. So, I'm not suggesting that it's really trying to tie together anything. I'm suggesting that this album so far is, is uh, a hodgepodge of good ideas. I don't really see unity in this. I, I really would have to strain. But, to be fair, it's part of what you I, I think you do expect from a lot of uh, jam band atmospheres. I'm going to use this as a, as a segue into my wrap-up here, because I think we've pretty much... Unless you have some final words before we nope. actually wrap up. Nope, go nope. for it. All right. This is going to bleed into uh, today's discussion, which um, will be about improvisation in general, and, and jam bands will obviously uh, be a big part of that, because they, they live and breathe off improvisation. Fish is... is they live and breathe off improvisation. And that's the way most of the people I know fish treat them. And I'm going to avoid making any sweeping statements about this band because even though I really was not a fish fan, not because I, um, not because, you know, I'd listened and, and disliked and then set it aside. It was really more just because they'd never really come across me. It, it, it I never really had given myself time to immerse myself into their vast discography. But I did, for the sake of this project. As we have a week to to listen to the album, we also get to research the band, and, and just, you know, if it's something when someone we're unfamiliar with, we get to research what they've done. I went back, I listened to earlier Fish stuff, I think it was great. I think the stuff that they came out really early in their career, around like 1990, even, uh, well, pretty much all throughout the 90s, I listened to, um, I forget the name of the album, but I listened to one, an album from 90, from 96. They were phenomenal. They were, they were... Pulling from all of the best ideas, and in some sense, I, I heard a, a sound that was distinctly them, that, that was set apart from any genre in particular. And yet, I did still feel it was, it was improvisational, but it, it had the, their studio work at least, had the, the tightness of structure that you, you can only get from studio work. In other words, the division was solid. They had their live work on one hand, they had their, sol their their studio work on another. Here, as I said early in this review, and then I brought it up in the middle of the review, there's an issue of not really seeing that divide at all. This could have been a live album, and if it was a live album, it would have been a bland live album. But at least I would have had some, some justification, perhaps, for some of these shifts. Um... Not to say that live work doesn't ha doesn't work off an existing structure. Usually they do, but there's always that room for failure that you're willing to give a little bit of leeway toward because there's the experience that you have maybe three quarters or four fifths of the way through a concert where you're just not paying as active attention as you perhaps were in the awe of the first few minutes. At that point, you're maybe on a few drinks. You're talking with your friends you're already kind of familiar with the with the 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 setting and the framework of the band that you're not going to judge them on minutia you did not get to get away with that on a live album that's why this suffers at times it has great ideas and it has great segments but i i can come up with very few tracks in this album that are are solid front to back except for the most safe and predictable tracks and those tracks I'm not going to dismiss, because as I brought up, department store track, 
uh, Barnes & Noble overhead music, you know, while you're looking through the books. I don't think this stuff is to be dismissed at all. But it is, it does seem very lackluster for what I know Fish can do. I have to give it this a, uh, yeah, I gotta give this a 2.5. That's, um, I think, pretty safe. Even though the ideas individually I've liked better than many, uh, tracks that we've rated higher. I mean, excuse me, many, many albums that we've rated higher. That's just, uh, the unity of this album can't compete. I mean, for me, what really hurts this record beyond the fact that I just didn't like it was there's no theme, there's no arc, it's 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 completely disjointed, and that really hurts it. I mean, at least in the case of, say, something like Bare Naked Ladies, where we all agreed is very much, their new record is very much department store rock, very much very tired and safe. There was at least an, a very thin theme of love and loss and of, you know, living life and this kind of pop ideal and... That's what a lot of their albums have, this kind of theme of learning and, and learning lessons and living life. That wasn't even really here. Like, we have this very, 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 very loose theme of being in a car, but there wasn't even really enough to support that, that I can even allude at it, really, other than mentioning it. Um, I mean, I really like Wombat. I enjoyed it. I think, it, it, I mean, within seconds, it made me laugh out loud when I was listening to it at work. And I think it was partially because it just caught me off guard. But, I mean, you know, comparing it to the They Might Be Giants, a lot of their songs do the same to me. And I enjoy them because they catch me off guard. Um, you know, but all the other tracks either only have memorable moments, but now they're starting to bleed together. Like, I wasn't sure that that piano moment that you liked, Steve, was in the last track. And, but I didn't say anything. I waited till you brought it up. And we got to the last track and you hadn't said anything, I was like, that's when I said, oh, was it this track? Because a lot, there was a lot of bleed over in my memory because there weren't distinct identifiers to the track with what was going on. You could play the cut and paste game and might not have lost a step. Yeah, like if I play this album out of order except for Fuego, because Fuego I distinctly remember, but every other track I could probably swap around and I wouldn't know which track is which. Even if you change the title on some of them, I probably wouldn't know if you changed my MP3 titles. Yeah, Fuego, despite my gripes with it, was a bold intro. And I, frankly, I think it oversold this album. Yeah, oh, absolutely. The, the, this is the first time in a long time I can think where the, the first track's skill level... It had level, the best jam of the album. It had the, the, the best sections or the most unique uh, blend of sections, even I though they weren't always tighter. It, you know, that kind of thing. I was actually saying, what the F, what are we going to get here, as I was listening to it in the car. Yeah. I but, went, when they go into that third section, I was slamming the steering wheel going, oh, cool, we're going to get something weird. Yeah, although, interestingly enough, my, my gripes with it did seem did turn out to be foreshadowing the more apparent gripes that I had yeah. bit later. But, I mean, really, what hurts this album the most is that I just, I didn't connect with anything. Wombat, I connected because I enjoyed it. And, you know, fun is an important emotion to have, too. Um, but, and then White Queen, I connected to... Winter Queen. Winter Queen, rather. Is that I, emotion or a state of being? Yeah, continue. Uh, White Queen, I connected with, too. I got the, 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 um, 
the somberness of it. And, you know, I, I felt something there too, but it was just, it wasn't enough. I mean, on this 11 track album, I connected with two and only really liked one. I mean, I didn't hate the other songs. I kind of just nothinged them. <laughs> that's a hell of a way to put it. You know, and that, that that doesn't mean that they were bad or that I hated them. I just didn't really feel much of anything. Um, but again, I can't ignore their talent. I mean, they're talented musicians. They know how to play their instruments. They do some interesting things in moments of some of the songs. But, you know, it's a 2.25 for me. It's a little lower than Steve's, mostly just because it's it's clear that I just enjoyed a lot less of it than you guys did but it's not a two i'm not putting it on the same level as green day because green day visibly made me angry and sick to my stomach at moments i was so annoyed we with it kind of we were kind of being nice to them when we were doing it back then because we all lowered them at end of years i yeah. wish i'd gave it a one kind of a thing i can't this is this uh, this album would never be no. in the one range just because i mean First of all, as musicians, they're all really good. Yeah, they're all really, that's really what good. I'm saying. This is this is a problem of 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 um, I'm gonna implementation. Say, not of your ideas. even so much. It's a problem of uh, now. Yeah, we'll go with that. Implementation and also identity. Yeah, but you know, it's a I two- detect an identity crisis as as these these tracks go from one genre to the next and and even struggle within those tracks themselves to find their place. But I wouldn't even call that outside the realm of Fish. They've always had a lot of rock plus ideas. No, yeah, they are all rock across the genre jazz, board. Rock plus blues, rock plus country, plus psychedelic, plus indie, plus alt. That's what they but are. But it seemed they went a lot further with them. Yes, is that's, the thing. that's the biggest issue I had with this album. This album dips its toes. The big, the big, big problem is instead of trying to do fusion ideas, they kind of just stuck with an idea for a song and went with it, which is not something I was really looking forward to. They're, they've been doing this for thirty years. They know their music. These are not novices. They were very tight where they were tight. They're very cohesive where they were building something. Even the parts that were kind of pop were exemplary pop they had every idea down to a science and almost the Mm. instrumentation is there the implementing of said instruments was not the choices were just just oh why guys why and i know we're gonna get a lot of flack from any fish fans out there but but for, this, I even have an issue with what I mean. What you said, you know, when they have something down to a science, ah, uh, that doesn't strike me as a good thing. You know, I don't think you should have anything down to a science. Well, no, I mean, you have, the second you have it down to a science, it's probably not something you I'm should say, release. What I'm saying is, then it's predictable. No, but that's what I'm saying. What uh, they they know how to make funky music. They know how to make jazzy music. They know how to make this, that, and the other thing. They know their repertoire. They know how to make music. I think that's what it's suffering from. Because they know music so well, it's like they don't even have any new ideas on this. There's there's so little unusual, which is fish. Too much fish is unusual. Too much self awareness. That's them. That's what they do. It's just why there's there's nothing here that really sets it apart from the crowd. 
there's nothing offensive. It's boring when it gets down to the worst of it. There's a lot of boring parts here because it's not like they've made it before. So many. It's like the genre is being just represented here. The genre of country was was devotion to a dream. The 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 funk was five five five. That's what they were. In the most primal of sense, they became just genre songs, not musical songs, not inspirational or emotional or inspired. It was boring. In that case, I mean, this is hitting. It is hitting Green Day levels for me. But I, it's, it's. I love Winter Queen, and Wombat, and most of Wingsuit, and most of Waiting All Night. There, there are parts there where it's like, that's fish. Once again, they're back. They're making something new. They're integrating things together and and coming up with ideas and presenting beautiful thoughts. I just don't know what the hell happened. It, it's so disappointing. And this is why I have such a love-hate relationship with them. And it, it, some of their ideas are amazing. Some of them are just so boring. I don't know what to do with this. So and you find it boring? Parts. It, it just, it's just so much I think chaff. Find, I think he finds it boring. It's so much chaff <laughs> around the great ideas that, yeah, it's, it's a straight-up... I'm with Matt. It's a 2.25. All right, fair enough. Um, I'll 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 defend my two point five only because I think I did get not so much a direct emotion from this album, um, or direct emotional sense, but uh, more of a nostalgic emotional sense, just because of the overall feel good, um, backdrop that it has going for it. It does remind me of little you know moments in college when I'd be strolling down my dorm hallways and then someone on the floor would be blasting this from their room. Puts me in a nice place. And I do see the appeal of it, especially in, in from how fish fans would use this, which would, you know, often fit cases like driving in a car on a long journey and just kind of set you in a state where but, you don't have but, to think too hard about anything else. That, uh, that Not thinking hard. Turning yourself off. That is the opposite of what I want from fish. <laughs> That's the whole thing. That is the opposite of what Fish has done before. I just want to say that... Uh, I think some people might argue that, but... Well, but I they... know, like, this is contrary to what I like in music. I like thinking hard. I like actively focusing on my music. Instead of not... getting emotions, you're just getting bland. Contentment. No, I'm getting impressions. Mm. Fade yeah, impressions. But in, in defense of my rating, I'm not really hugely a fan of jam bands. In fact... Truthfully, I really can't stand them. I don't like them. Um, live, I imagine it's a fun experience. And honestly, if I saw a jam band live, I'd probably get into it because it'd be a show. But, I guess we're segueing. Yes. <laughs> in today's discussion on improvisation and but the greater extent. If I'm bands. listening to you on a CD, I don't want you to jam for 15 minutes. I want you to play a damn song. That doesn't mean it has to be short, but meandering nature in a lot of jam bands and improvisation or what is posed as improvisation on a studio album is irritating to me a lot. And so I don't uh, have that problem. I just don't have that problem. I'm going to go out right and say, I love just having fun with music sometimes. You need that kind of catharsis of, 
let's just do something epic. Well, right let me let now. me spotlight Matt for a minute though, because yeah. being the, the the gentleman that you are, you you withhold this for for the duration of the album, and now going in, you say you're not big on jam bands, which of course is is. Uh, contrary to everything that that Fish stands for, since they've been hailed as as probably one of the most innovative jam bands of the last two decades, so you basically take issue with that entire premise, is what you're well, saying? Yeah, I guess. I mean, and I get what you're saying, John, about you like to have fun with your music, but I'm not playing, so jamming's not fun to me. If I knew how to play music and I was jamming in a band and playing in a jam band, ah. it'd probably be a blast. And now here's the here's the thing, because it is it. I do often find that that um, people I know who like jam bands do tend to be musicians themselves. Just a coincidence, perhaps. 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 But, <laughs> but some of our greatest, and I will make this this statement: some of our greatest musicians have been those oriented towards just jamming out, just being, you know, inventive. In the moment. And you know why. Because jamming is, I mean, sort of exploring your instrument in a real-time atmosphere is one of the best ways to improve at it. I mean, You do that for long enough. You have enough sessions where you just get together and say, all right, well, guys, we're going to play for the next half hour, right? Not stop. Not going to stop. Just keep going. Then you all of a sudden have obtained so many skills. You've obtained skills like, for instance, uh, stage skills where, you know... A good showman would never stop in the middle of performance and be like, ah, ah, I screwed up. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Can can we start over? Nope. If you just are in a jam session and you keep going and that's what you're familiar with, then you're not going to stop. You're going to find ways around every little tonal issue that you have with your instrument, such as, oh, what do I do here? What do I do with this chord? What do I do with this scale? I I, I forgot an idea. I've got an idea. You're going to come up with ways to work around that, and new ideas will be coming up faster than time would ever have you dispose of. One of my favorite, favorite, like, really, if you have to press me, I would pick this on the album I go to the end of time with, Foxy Lady. I love Foxy Lady. Help me out. Bye. Jimi Hendrix. Oh, don't even familiar. Dun, 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 Foxy. That was under five seconds. Nice. Yeah. Uh, and and when you start talking about an individual like Hendrix or Santana or Grateful Dead, like yeah. these are musicians but, that... Can you really say that, that Hendrix, as a jam band man, and every one of his albums was about that? All along the Watchtower. I mean, that song is just yeah. so iconic and... Every but, time I hear it, I love it. And I love all of Jimi Hendrix because he's not like those other jam bands. There's a lot, there is a, in a lot of his big hits, especially, there's a bigger through line than Grateful Dead or Fish or a lot of other bands. Same with, with um, Foxy Lady, the one that you cited. There's actually not a lot of jamming in that song at all. His soloing, maybe. But beyond that, like, I just don't put Jimi Hendrix in the same category I do that. often find that whenever people mention, oh, yeah, I like jam bands, they often, you know, refer to a particular track that is more built around uh, composition and, and, and structure than the majority of their work. Because, you know, every jam band has to have that one anthem. They have to have that one, that one track 
that they wrote, that one song that just seems to supersede all of their other jams, and it obtains this instant cult status. And that's the one that's going to find its way into mainstream media, because it's the most accessible. It's the one that isn't uh, hiding behind all of these ambling solos that struggle to find their place, and may, may in moments, they may not in others. And, and the other thing was, well, while that's true... Jimi Hendrix, a lot of his studio recordings were not jammy. His live recordings were very jammy. And those are the ones I actually will listen to more often. Just uh, some of his... Uh, but that's not that what I'm saying. From but Woodstock. you're ignoring what I'm saying. I'm saying my problem is jam bands who sound jammy on their studio work. I have no patience for that. Live, jam- live jammy stuff I don't mind because it's a different atmosphere. It's a different environment and a lot of those songs are integrated together in a way when you're played in a live concert that they mingle well when you jam but it's it's bands like fish dave matthews band um um um, uh, um grateful dead on their studio recordings every now and then they have a jammy part that goes on too long that drives me bonkers and that's my issue is being jammy and improvisational on a studio recording well, but often I, jazz okay, is no, no, no. built I have a question that. then. Jazz, I have a question. jazz. Wait, 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 wait. Before you go on, because I know jazz is going to be a big thing about it, and and very important. But, but do you listen to live albums? That's the question. Yeah, I got. all the time. Do you listen to these jam bands live? Um, Dave Matthews, I have. Um, Fish, I didn't really listen to that much. You don't. It, it, but I'm I'm talking like old school, like Grateful Dead, because we keep bringing them up. They are. Yeah, absolutely. The only versions of their songs I have are live versions. But that is like a studio recording never going to change. How is that different? Even though it is a recording of a live session as opposed to a studio session, how is that different? They they did it one way this way, they did it another way that way. You get a sense of the energy from the live track. You get a sense of the crowd from the live track, which breaks up some of the craziness because after the big solo or in the middle of the big solo, there's a big burst of emotion and then it comes back around. They've also structured the songs a little bit different on the, a lot of those but, live tracks. But if the crowd wasn't there cheering, would that completely detract from it? If they had done that live version as their studio version, would you be more accepting of it? Probably not. I I think it's mostly I just don't like jam bands, and even though I like the live tracks better, I don't really love full circle. jam bands. And that's that's full that's, circle, but we're trying to break you from where, that full circle here. That's where I love, and hit where Steve was about to go into before I rudely interrupted him. I I do enjoy <laughs> jazz, though I'll never learn names or names of pieces, names of artists, names of composers. That's something I just don't have the mind to do. I'll because throw you out. Some I names. love jazz. I'll say it this way. I love jazz Tatum, once. Dizzy uh, Gillespie, John Coltrane. These, to me, are some of the greatest improvisers to ever live. But here's how I like jazz. And I know you're probably going to hate me for this. I like jazz once. I haven't been able to go back to jazz songs. And this is where I'm kind of agreeing with Matt, but still vehemently disagreeing on some aspects. I like the I idea know. of the free form that jazz just always has promoted to me ideologically. It's just the idea of jazz equates freedom. As much as rock and roll was the idea of peace, love, and happiness and changing the world, jazz has always been just a musical interpretation of true 
liberty and and breaking the system and being different but completely unique at all the time for that reason i can't listen to the same jazz track too many times before it just becomes tired to me okay devil's um, advocate the Why? funny thing well i'm gonna just interject there to mm. say that mostly when i uh when i encounter jazz it's hard for me to become so familiar with a jazz track that i know it intimately because the solos are often so long and so so expansive that it's tough for me to just know it enough that one listen will really be it. In fact, the only reason I may I may be so sparing with jazz is because it's almost daunting to listen to a jazz album. It's a it's a heavy, engrossing task, um, which demands all of my experience with with music theory and and uh, and I suppose form direction. Perhaps that's not how everyone listens to jazz, but, you know, some people just sit there and they just groove, groove to it. And I can groove to it too, but it's still, every moment is so intricate. And every moment goes to something drastically, a drastically new place. That, to me, is something is the only reason why it's, it's not a one-time thing for me, but it's more like a once-a-year thing for me, because then I go back to it and it's just, it draws me in. But perhaps as a growing musician you know i will get over that i've always expected to get over that which i have with certain jazz artists not all but that's just interesting how we seem to come at that from opposite fronts well i mean i i'll say that i like jazz i definitely like it i just don't really access it a lot i mean maybe if i looked for it more yeah, right, yeah, i have would enjoy in- inspiration you have but, to have someone but like, I, give I've you that never, jazz album well i've never heard jazz and been like oh this is terrible like i always enjoy it when i hear it i just never really go out of my way to hear it but my, my question is john if you can only listen to jazz once because it you it does whatever it does to you and you don't want to hear it again how is that different from the jam bands the way i look at it is that jazz is a different beast. It besides just the idea of freedom, it's chaos. I think what that really—that's where I get the idea of freedom for. Jazz, like, always seems to be upon the cusp of true chaos, and I don't want to try to define that. I don't want to find order in it outside of just incidental as I'm listening to it. I want to feel that random nature to it. Well, I'm about to step in here and, and define a big separator between jazz and uh, disclaimer here. Our our current perception, uh, perhaps a negative perception of what a jam band really is, because obviously a great jam band, I believe, could, could overcome this and be more similar to jazz in this regard. Because there's bad jazz too. Point is, jazz usually revolves around bracketing the solo work or the comp work as something that is so intricately tied to the primary a section or the primary refrain that gets returned to as needed sometimes with upwards of five six minutes in the middle where you don't even revisit that structure and yet it finds its way to go on this long journey Steady, but surely, without teleporting anywhere, without doing anything that is unlike where you'd expect the journey to travel. And it goes far away sometimes, and at some point it reels its way back, and you understand contextually, sometimes after the fact, how it all fit together. This is probably the greatest thing about jazz. 
Jam bands can do this too, although we don't often encounter it, and perhaps today was a very poor example of it. Where jam bands often... I think you're more in someone's mind. You're less on a journey where it's one step in front of the other, even though you may take odd turns, but you're in someone's mind where you don't always have to be linear. Sometimes your mind... We can all be very scatterbrained. We can think about all the things we, we want to do today, right? Even if we want to focus on one thing, we just don't always do it. We might be on one task, and then all of a sudden, we're jumping to a completely different task. That's just the way the human brain works, unless you really will yourself into it, right? Which we do all have power to do, as can jam bands. But I don't think they always want to. I think a lot of times, the fun of being in a jams band is that kind of interested, especially in a, in a community jam band, one instrumentalist is interested to see what the other instrumentalist would do, and where his mind might jump sporadically to, just so that other instrumentalist can shift gears and then follow what that other guy's doing. It's part of the fun. Not to say that jazz doesn't have that fun, but I think it's traditionally uh, sort of gone back to this... this uh, academic mindset, you know, of of being very formal in in where those particular key changes will occur. And it's just, you know, one step to the next. You can do so much with that, but it requires so much more focus. That's just a cultural distinction, I think, between the two. But obviously, jam bands can do what I just cited for jazz, and jazz can be as poorly structured as what I decided for jam bands. So really, they shouldn't be so different. It's just our cultural perception, which I think is where you're coming from, Matt. It could be. I mean, also, we've reviewed jazz on the podcast, and I liked what we listened to. I mean, Chick Corea did... Ep- episode 57. Did really cool stuff. And, like, I mean, that bass solo, I'm still ta- telling people about that bass solo from whatever track that was in, because I can't remember, because I'm not Steve. Um... You know, I really enjoyed Chikori a lot. Um, would I go out and buy his record? Would I go out and see him in concert? Well, actually, I'd probably see Chikori in concert because I feel like that would be an experience. It would. But it'd be less about the music and, oh, I can't wait to hear that track or that solo. It'd be more about, man, I'm going to see Chikori. This show is going to be amazing. You know? And I imagine with a lot of these jam bands, it'd be the same for me. If I'm engaged at the live show, because every live show, I always enjoy live shows. But just... The, the 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 immediate personal um, personal experience removed is what hurts me for the jam band and to a lesser extent jazz too. That's that's a whole other area of this discussion is the obviously the live versus studio setting when it comes to improvisation. First of all, improvisation it's whether it's planned or not, I think is really the big question. Because on a studio recording, we all expect everything to be put together, you know, meticulously as we said we expect there to be this this unified product that was worked really really hard toward and who knows how many edits or post edits had to go into making it but obviously improvisation is the core of almost any musician's ideas otherwise ideas would would never happen at some point you have to sit at your instrument and just play and then after maybe five minutes or so you've noticed huh that was cool maybe i should write that down that's improvisation. Great. But that's not always meant to be done in front of a person. Yeah, that's, that's my that, stance. 
I, I, I've plenty of recorded improvisations that I've done at the piano, and I would never release any of them mm-hmm. because they're just, they're totally for just getting ideas on the, on, 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 on the board. You know, that's it. And then I'll pull from them as needed later on and you figure know, out what works where. And I'll and admit, that's, watching... That's the part that's just, called writing the novel. Well, just speaking of what Steve says, I've watched Sarah write, because she's written a few songs now, and I watch her, like, fiddle on the guitar and play some chords and see see where she draws inspiration from improvising. And I enjoyed watching it from the standpoint of, oh, I don't know how to write music. This is a cool, interesting thing I'm watching. But I don't know that I would listen to it on a CD, her just fiddling and trying to figure out how to write a song. There's a big difference the second you decide to professionalize it. That takes balls. That's where the greats truly come in. And that's why you say something like Jimi Hendrix's studio work yeah, it was a jam at once. And sometimes some of those great pieces that seem to be just perfect studio songs were really just a once and done. Were really that instance where he figured out the song as he went along. Mm-hmm. That guitar riff he did there, that sounds the same every time he does it, that was that idea that he was able to just make. That's why I love jamming music. That's why I love jam bands. Especially in the very beginning uh, of the podcast when I, I, I proposed that thing about how how a lot of times people don't you know go to live albums and listen actively. Well, you're right. That, that, that is total crap because people do go to live albums and listen actively. And that's funny because that's almost contrary to what you're saying now. Because when you are listening to that person's product at a show... A lot of times you're listening to huge portions of the song that really were just made up on the spot. And yet, these these albums, these live albums, obtain cult status. And they're constantly gone to by every by every listener of uh, or every fan of the band. And they all seem to agree, wow, that was amazing. That That is inspiration. Pure inspiration on the spot, and that's the same thing that what John's talking about. That was made instantaneously, and it was instant perfection. I mean... We know collectively, all three of us know Baba O'Reilly um, by The Who. I remember that song at my first concert ever at like 14. The ending became like a 25-minute monstrosity because it's Baba O'Reilly. It's Teenage Wasteland. It's the song, The Who, had that, that truly brought them to a whole nother level of stardom after they were already there. Mm. A 20, 25 minute outro that honestly I could not get enough of. I wish I had a recording of it because it was just a violin guitar riff over that background rhythm that was just epic. Pure, utter epic. That's the thing. Sometimes you're just in a zone. But let's go back to what you started to say before. The hot shots, like the Jimi Hendrixes out there. People like that have lived their entire life off of improvisation because that's what people pay to see them do. And whether they plan that or not is anyone's guess, but clearly they've worked at it hard enough and that's what people recognize them as. People who will blow their minds instantaneously. This is the kind of thing that I think we're looking for and I think this is where this conversation is ultimately going is should the standards be higher for an improvised recording? Yes. And and I'm not saying that these bands that John mentioned... But it is a different art form, you'll admit. Yes. And I'm not saying that John 
And see, you know what it is? I think it's more and more I don't like jam bands, but I do like improv. Because I can name an artist right now who's completely based around improv, whose music I love, though I can't name any of his tracks because he doesn't know what they're called. And that's Reggie Watts. I love Reggie Watts. I think he's great and brilliant and fun. And 90% of the live music he performs is improvised on the spot with the looper that he uses. But I don't know. There's something about it that's different. Maybe it's the element of comedy that he weeds through a lot of his stuff. That keeps me engaged. So even if it's something that doesn't interest me. Or maybe it's just my experiences with Fish and, and um, whoever else were poor experiences. And I need to reevaluate them. Re, re uh, give those songs another try and see if maybe there is more that I like there. It's like uh, the whole problem I think I have in arguing this is that I look at a piece like th- the three strong uh, string Star Spangled Banner from Woodstock, and I know it's been a song that's been like people have poured over, poured over so many times because it's just Jimi Hendrix riffing the Star Spangled Banner. And honestly, at this point, I could I, I I it's too familiar for me to enjoy it at the same level I did as a child. But at the same time, it's still one of the most amazing, just pure improv pieces I've ever heard. Just just from the framework of the idea, well, he half of his guitar was broken, and the rest of it was out of tune, and the whole like mystique and mystery and mantra that came around this of just everything that he does with it and it's still just completely unrecognizable at parts yet still the star spangled banner i look at that i'm like that that is music at its core that is the presentation of a person's soul through music so so, so you really like it huh well no (laughs) it just became an icon to me because it's him just at the moment just presenting himself through his instrument i got you and i'm granted we could sit here and gush about how many i mean great improvs that we've that we've grown up to love or you just grew up with but i think what i'm really trying to get at here and and uh i have one little element to cover before we get into this that's the distinction between simply soloing and jamming and that's a big difference because like what you described with uh reggie watch it meant that's solo it's his he no one really controls him he has total control over that entire process. Now, to some extent, also soloists in a band um, have total control. They, they're a little bit beholden to other instrumentalists, but the idea behind a soloist in a band or a soloist in a, in a jazz atmosphere is that they should have the reins while every other instrumentalist takes a back seat and does something kind of inane. Or, or mundane. Something that's repetitive that you don't really have to think too much about it, that just really serves to highlight that centermost musician. This is a bit different than jamming, and somewhere in between these two extremes you find comping, where you actually have an instrumentalist who is taking eh, definitely backseat, but also steps in to highlight the other musician through their active work. Less doing repetitive refrains, but constantly following where the soloist moves and following him every step of the way and then shaping him context. That to me is, is even more of a, uh, um, a refined art form, is, is the art of comping. But then when you move into jam atmospheres, there's not really a soloist. 
there's not really one person. You're dealing with people who have very different minds, although you assume if they're in a jam band that they have some kind of chemistry that has shaped them, that their minds will act cohesively, some respect or another. But how often can you expect that to work? I think this is why there's there's very few uh, jam bands, going back to what we said again at the very beginning of the podcast, you said there, um, there's few that have reached the mainstream. I think yeah. that's maybe why. is because it's such a challenging thing to reach where all of these separate musicians, who are probably well, it's, great it's soloists mostly... in their own right, all of a sudden now have to solo together, which is totally an oxymoron, but that's what they have to do. It's, it's the whole idea, and there's some truth to this, but a jam band doesn't do good studio work. It, it comes down to it's hard to present the fluidity and the emotion of jamming. That's only because that's not what they're popular for. Yeah. It's like I, mean, I said again, it's, people go to these people for their live albums. They go to them for their shows. It's, and, it, and it's because you cannot make a studio album that will hit the level of your live shows that you just don't get press the right. same way. And that wraps me around to, to what I was getting at before, which is, should they be beholden to a different standard? And now you said, with an unblemished yes, Matt, didn't you? Should uh, jam bands, should instrument, should... Yeah, we'll say jam bands specifically. Should they be beholden to a different standard? Because when you consider it, the different fact that they should... Different standard or higher standard? No, you said different higher. standard. Different standard. Because we'll decide what that is in a minute. This is why we're going to put this to the panel right here. But we just said that, you know, it's very challenging for them to do what they do at all. The fact that, you know, five, six different minds, I forget how many, were actually involved in, in some of the larger jams uh, in a Dave Matthews context. But uh, sometimes many more musicians have to just act cohesively. Some might be taking more backseat than others, but at least you have a multitude of, of active musicians following the same pattern. Within that, yeah, they might have sub-solos, but all, generally, same time. I mean, I think... That's phenomenal. I think you're gonna, if you're going to do something like Jimi Hendrix did, or like Grateful Dead did, or even Dave Matthews, I think it, it does take another level of performance art and understanding of music to accomplish it. I think also in the, st the fact with a band like Dave Matthews, they're known for their studio work. They're not known, they're known for their live jamming, but they're known for their studio work. And I think my blemish with live bands comes from them and like listening to their solo, their studio work, which I love. I love a lot of Dave Matthews studio work. Yeah, I said it. But then their live album comes out and Ants Marching, instead of being three minutes, is eight minutes, and I have to sit through a five-minute guitar solo that I'm not interested in because it's not that great. I think that's where my annoyance with jam bands comes when you take a studio but that's song. That's specific, specifically a solo, though. I a think solo within the jam. Well, band I I think that when a band gets jammy on a single track that was a hit in the way I imagine it because of the way I liked it, when they change it up, depending on how it goes, maybe I won't like it as much. Not to say it's bad, I just don't enjoy it the same. But bringing it back around to what you said about how they should be held by a different standard, I mean, can you personally judge jazz exactly the same way you judge pop music? No, I can't. Can you judge jazz exactly the same way you judge heavy metal? Um, 
those are more similar, mm. only in some ways, but obviously they're different. And we we every week when we encounter a different genre, we usually rate it on on a whole plethora of factors that often include the genre that they chose and how well they do that. But then we do take the next level and say, well, what does that what what does what they chose do for us? And then also consider the genre of jam band, if that's a genre. But, but that doesn't say anything to the music type. Technically, you could have a pop jam band. In fact, I'm pretty confident <laughs> that uh, to say that when they were still together, uh, Mumford's and Sons definitely jammed on stage. I have no doubt in my mind. Yes. Here's the thing, Their though. Stuff was Most cool. bands jam on stage. We expect this of almost every band when we go see a concert because that's the extra something that you're getting, that you're paying for, that you weren't, that you couldn't get on the studio release. So when you go to a concert, you get, you get your favorites, you get the songs, you get the singles, and then you get some interesting stuff, and then you get the stuff that you wouldn't find anywhere else that is straight from the rehearsal room. So then what's the, I think the real question is not, not what whether constitutes they sh- a jam band. There you go. I don't think it's whether we should judge them at a different standard, but what makes them a jam band? Like if you ask anybody, the Grateful Dead are a jam band. Because sure. they're improvisational. Because that's who they are at their core. I think it's, it's, uh, it's at that comparison. point, it's a, it's a matter of sheer quantity. It's a matter of, it's, when you're talking about uh, Grateful Dead, you know, Almost every track will have room for a solo, and it's going to be a long one, so be ready. Every think, track is built around that that freedom that I you're going to have. The only way to really tell a jam band is just, are they better live? That might be the real criteria in the, That's in the, the long haul. That's the joke, although that might, might be, end up being the accidental truth. Yeah, are they better live? Well, then they probably lean more towards jamming sessions as opposed to pure composition. Because studio work is a surefire way to, to depart that and to confuse the the otherwise perfected process of a jam band. But I... No, no, just hear me out, though. Is that once you are once you think about, about something in studio terms, then you need to invoke other talents that you wouldn't have to invoke. No matter how many years that you've been jamming and you've refined that art, the second you have to start mixing and matching and placing things, your instinct, to be frank, is, is more just... You know, it, it, it's good that first time. You know, Instead, if if your if your first instinct is the best one, then that's what you're more inclined to go with. But on a studio release, that that's very rare that you can achieve that because you're, you're going to have people cross-checking you. You're not going to just try to sound great tonight. You're going to have to sound great for the rest of time with this piece you're producing. Yeah, but on the same level, well. I guess the idea that a jam, if a band's better live than their jam band, but I think most talented bands are always better live. Oh, God, no. I would not agree with that at all. Okay, what's your example? Uh, My experience Less than been... Jake. Uh, Next. Uh, uh, me first in the Gimme Gimmies. Uh, bowling for Soup. So you think they're talented, but they're not better live? They're not better live. Okay, uh, but Suicide Machine was actually really poor comparatively to their their CD. Oh, uh, regardless of going of, of just spilling most, off names, this, honestly, this, this, most this is a, albums, uh, most bands that I've seen live uh, were were better on the radio. See, and I but, disagree because I've seen a lot of concerts, and percentage wise, most of those bands were as good or better live than the, than than in their work, than in their studio work. Yeah. 
for me. Then why don't you like jam I bands? Th- no, no, no. More? Hold on. No, no, no. Hold on. I think you're entering a uh, uh, more of a more of a philosophical question here, and that's uh, do you like do you like the product or do you like the process? Are you asking me or are you putting that out there to the universe? Well, always both. <laughs> always both. So, do I like the product or the process better? Yes. First of all, at, you, you are... Um, I don't know that I could pick one As, as a other. member, as a, as a fellow host here and an avid interviewer, you've interviewed many, many musicians before. You, you've said before that you, you enjoy uh, learning about how a musician comes to do what he does. Sure. So, obviously, one of the best ways you get to learn that is to actually hear him in the process of, of that inspiration. Just like you said uh, with Sarah in, in listening to her build the ideas in the guitar. And obviously, and even though it's in a, in a more professional setting, listening to a, a professional improviser, a professional soloist, do that same exact thing is tantamount to the same as that interview. Yep. But I'm only listening to it a few times. I'm not listening to it over and over again on CD. Ah, so you don't think that has longevity? I think I feel the same way about jam bands that John feels about jazz. I'll listen to it a couple times. I get what I want from it. I feel like it's educational and enjoyable, but I don't know that I want to listen to it over and over again. I think you finally uh, crossed into where I stand with jam bands, because I've been kind of on the fringe here playing interviewer for this, but I obviously have an opinion too, and it goes very much in line with that. You have an opinion too? Yes, I do. Really? I always I thought, have opinions. I thought one week we just weren't going to get an opinion out of him. Let him have his opinion so we can, you know, move on. I've been very good up till now. I'm just turning it off for the sake of this uh, this discussion, which has yeah, been pretty interesting so far. But um, but I think that that sums up very beautifully what I, I feel about jazz bands. I, I, jam bands and soloing and improv- improvisation in general. I think it's an educational tool. And there can be those moments, right? Those solos that I can listen to over and over, but they have to be the most refined solos out there. A lot of time, I think my my standard really is higher for for that atmosphere. Um, if it's going to stand the test of time, it needs to be a solo that was thought out. You can't really treat a solo 100% like a solo, because a lot of times, even the the great solos out there in the ether that you may have thought were just were just shat out probably weren't they probably i mean they were were built around patterns and um what i mean by patterns is you know like interval patterns such as you know alternating retrograde inversion all the stuff all the the building blocks that actually compose every one of the solos that you've come to know and love these things have been worked out and studied and hammered down by every great soloist so that by the time they reached that one great solo the one that you are listening to over and over and over again they not only incorporated those tools and studied those tools, they also had to build a structure around their song that this solo had to pull from along with the given tools. That That is tantamount to brilliance. But how often do you going to find that? Because think... often, because this, this, this creates this little dichotomy where which one is easier or which one is more difficult? Meticulous composition or, uh, or improvisation, just fluid improvisation straight from the mind because really neither are pure in that case there's always this crossover between the two and i think that kind of speaks to why i find most music live to be just a poor substitute 
it's when they're just reproducing that thing that they've created once and have done since then. My favorite concerts, just my favorite musicians to see live were the ones that really pushed the envelope. Were The Who, where they just started rambling for 25 minutes. Where Dropkick Murphy, because when they do a show, it's it's just wicked. Because they futz with everything. They, they just screw around with everything. They don't play what you heard on the CD. Yeah. yeah I think that sums it up. Mm-hmm. That sounds about right. That was, a good, that, was, that was fun. I didn't realize you hated... I mean, you loved live so much more than... than it's not a matter CD. of... CD. Li- well, I didn't I will re- throw in Honestly, this. until we discuss this, I didn't realize I disliked so much live music compared to the CD, or just thought it was I, as good. I, I have can, a final thought, but I'll, I'll hold I it. I connect more emotionally to live music, because also, if I can see the inflection and the emotion in the singer's face as they're singing those emotional lines, I feel it, and then I connect. I mean, if someone's singing a hyper-depressing song... And they're crying while they're singing on stage. You can bet your ass I might be too. It's one of those things that I connect on another level when I can experience the music with the person who created it in the moment live. It goes both ways. Because despite what I said, I I, um, I mean, it, it, I, I go with what you said before. It's, it's an educational tool. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's not always an emotional thing with me. It, yeah, it's interesting to see them in the moment, and, and a lot of times it is very pure, because, well, what's more raw than real-time human emotion? At the same time, there's just that split where when I think back to the the, the product, I think, um, I think a lot of times I'm more intrigued to see what the artists put his soul into, what the artist knew that he wasn't going to achieve once, or, or um, what he knew he was going to fail at more times than once. What he if can't get off the cuff. What he can't get off the cuff. That's something that, to me, that is that is, um, I think beyond. You don't. You have to know your your mind well enough to to be that good as, as an improviser, which is why people often go one direction or the other, and why we see this 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 great divide between the two is because at some point in our lives we decide who we are. We decide whether the type to work and 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 be in the studio and refine, or work at the process of of having a better stream of consciousness you know I don't know it says something about about our personalities but that's uh, pretty much where it lies why don't you uh, take us into the the final thoughts the final thoughts oh those were the final thoughts no no I mean like you're oh you, yeah you don't shut up you have everything else to say yeah it's you, on the you. The rest of the album is the uh, rest of the the episode is still about you. Is it? Because it's your choice and your mail and everything like that. What's that? What all, did you just project on me? I have all, no all idea we, what you just projected. Have, John, stop talking. <laughs> Steve, read us our spam mail, please. Spam mail of the week. Da, 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 da. It's the spam mail. It's the spam mail. Spam mail. Spam, spam mail. Spam. What a material of unambiguity and preservedness of precious know-how on the topic of unpredicted emotions. By Google AdWords Express. That is awfully nice of them. Thank you. Was it nice? I don't know if they actually said anything. Google noticed us. Don't move. It's like a Tyrannosaurus Rex. (laughs) It can't see us if we don't move. If we move, it'll eat us. Um, I love the wording there. We're a material of unambiguity and a preservedness of precious know-how. Why didn't they just use... Why did they just make everything negative in that? Un and non and... 
all sorts of things like that. I think there was one thing like their that. Their prefixes. I think were, there was just one thing like that. Their prefixes. I really think you're exaggerating this one. Were superfluous. I think he's trying to make something out of nothing. Steve, what are we doing next week? Next week, I procrastinated long enough. I'm going to go for something fairly mainstream. <gasps> They're uh, incredibly mainstream, in fact, yes. not just fairly. Coldplay. I've I, I got to admit it. Um, as much as I'm not the most mainstream guy, I, I loved Coldplay, especially for what they were around uh, mid-2000s. Came out with an album called Parachutes back in 05. They got Album of the Year. I adored it. I absolutely adored it. And it was the first time I was like, wow. Go us. We, we, we picked an album of the year that is just solidly, you know, I was pleased with that pick. I mean, even though there are probably other great albums that came out that year, and perhaps other albums, you know, pushed music further beyond the boundaries, I think there's something to be said for that that, that even middle ground, for something that is not so safe as to fall under generic pop icka. I, I just threw in a suffix there. But also not something that is so... Um, so clouded and underground as to exclude half its audience. Coldplay was that perfect middle ground, but I want to see where they are now. Yeah, and it's also interesting because Coldplay is going to be the first artist we review that Spotify is struggling to get them to agree to release their music, which actually might not be a terrible thing to talk about that day as well. That's right, and the album is called Ghost Stories. Ghost Stories. So, listen to it, catch up on it, and listen to us next week. Um, as always, thank you for listening. Shoot us an email through the site, Facebook, Tumblr, Twitter, I don't think, uh, Instagram, and other things. You can grab our RSS feed and throw it in your RSS feed app on your Android. If you're not an iTunes folk, we're at, we are on iTunes. Give us a review and a star rating. The whole nine yards. Um, we got five orange buttons on our homepage. Click we do. Them. Click yeah. all of them. Click all of them. At once. <laughs> all at once. You can't even do it, can you? No. I um, challenge you, though. Yeah, it's a worthwhile challenge. We're also, I want to apologize, we're struggling to update the YouTube fast enough, but we're getting on that, and we will, in the coming weeks, try and get it all going a little faster. Um, that's, that's really it. So thank you for listening, guys. And remember, as always, music, music is life, life and, and life is good. Is good.